0: It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's The Origin Story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Hello, everyone. I am Michael Henry Harris, and this is the Origin Story podcast. And today we're talking with Chad Parker. Uh, Chad Parker, at the time of the interview, was COO and general manager of East Lake Golf Club. Uh, Since the interview, however, he's been promoted to president and general manager. So congratulations, Chad. Uh, This is a fun conversation. We talk a lot about what it takes to run a world-class golf club. Uh, We talk a lot about barbecue, one of Chad's passions. He's a professional barbecue competitor and also a certified judge. Uh, Cooking is definitely in his blood. He gets it organically with his parents. Uh, He also makes his own pickles, which are starting to have their own following. And he even uh, helped run a pop-up chicken uh, stand uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that uh, I think a lot of people are eagerly awaiting the return of. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. I consider Chad uh, really a model of, I would call it servant-based leadership. Uh, he's a very, very capable human being, and he's very humble. Uh, but he's not afraid to share uh, what has helped him along the way uh, become better, and also not afraid to share some failures that have helped him as well. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly loved it. Uh, without further ado, here's Chad Parker. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for braving the snow. We actually had snow in Atlanta this weekend. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it impacted our business a little bit. Uh, it's hard to play golf when, or uh, you can't play golf when snows on the ground. So, so what do you do? You bring in extra maintenance people to come in, or what's what do you we, have to do to protect the course? And we all just that closed kind of
1: stuff? We just closed the golf course. Um, had the restaurants,
0: you know, any parties or functions like
1: that? We had. Uh, we remained open, but really, there's nothing you know you need it to you need it to mother
0: nature's help on that i got you i got you all right so i want to start off uh when this is going to go chronologically and sometimes and not it'll be random tangents it's okay. going to be all over the place but i want you to tell me a little bit about the costume cabinet the costume cabinet um
1: yeah not many people know about it um but uh for whatever reason a few years ago i think it probably was the um out outcro- the the love of the band Yacht Rock Review that started the Costume Closet. Um, Outstanding and, band. Um, and so we, uh, so the lead singer Nick used to caddy at Eastlake where I work. And so I, we kind of followed him uh, through a co worker of mine. And I remember her telling me that this band was playing at the Ten High and they were doing like these crazy soft rock covers. And we're like, well, I have to go see this. And um, I really enjoyed following them and have been to, to Many events and dressed up uh, for them, and it just started from there. And then it's now it's it's branched out into Halloween and other themed parties that uh, I've been part of, and um pretty well prepared for any uh, <laughs> uh, occasion. The people at costumes Etc. over uh, off Chester Bridge, mm-hmm. they recognize me when I go in. Outstanding, um, and I really enjoy going to that store. And because they, as soon as you walk in there, they they totally get what you're trying to do, and they try to help you kind of achieve it but I guess it takes a certain
0: level of uh, comfort um, with yourself to do it but that's I do right. comfort and confidence and, yeah uh, for those right. of you guys that don't know uh, Yacht Rock Review they um, you know they're doing those that 70 they're doing that Yacht Rock they're doing these great amazing covers they're incredibly tight musicians and the shows are ridiculously fun and of course they're dressed up and a ton of people in the audience will dress up too so alright good I, I had heard about the costume and I, the cabinet I've seen on you know Facebook and Instagram like you know examples of of right. your wide variety of costumes. So, all right, good. I'm I'm glad to have that settled. Thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Florence, Alabama, uh, northwestern part of Alabama, about two hours uh, east of Memphis. So I would imagine that's a small town or medium sized town. It's or? a it
1: is a me- it's a medium size. It's part of uh, the Quad Cities. There's four towns there. Maybe the cumulative population would be in the hundred and twenty thousand between the four cities. So. What Um, are the other three? Tuscambia, Sheffield, and Muscle Shoals. Okay. Um, So if you know music, uh, you know Muscle Shoals, and that's literally
0: right across the river from where I grew up. Okay, that's interesting. They're all four different, you know, governments and all that kind of stuff. So Florence is the biggest and the only town that's that's on one side of the Tennessee River, the other three on the opposite side and much smaller. Okay, that's interesting. Do they, are there uh, differences like in demographics or like socioeconomic (laughs) or... Are they all kind of very similar to each other a little bit or no?
1: I would say um, they're similar to each other. What, what sets Florence apart is um, the University of North Alabama. So there's a, a culture there that um, you know has an academic um, university type feel. Um, in fact, I, I really didn't know how cool of a place it was when I lived there. I didn't understand the music element. I didn't understand that people like Billy Reed, um, or operate out of a town like Florence, who is, Billy is a you know, well-known men's designer, um, and, uh, and, and others. So it's, it's a very creative place. I just didn't know it
0: when I lived there. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we don't appreciate it until we're gone. That's right. That's, That's right. cool. Uh, do you have siblings? I have a younger sister, Karen, who still lives up in that part of the world. Very cool. And what, uh, does she work? What kind
1: of, she, um, just recently changed jobs. She, before uh, at this most recent uh, position, she founded an organization called the healing place, which is a grief counseling service for kids. Um, uh, in fact that, um, I've been involved with fundraising for the healing place since it first opened by organizing a golf tournament. And so her background is a marriage and family therapist. Um, and so she started that organization about 15 years ago. And um, last year uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and has gone through that process. And just right now in her life, it's not the time to be counseling others uh, that are grieving. Um, it was weighing on her too much emotionally. So she's going to do something else for a while. And, you know,
0: I would suspect long term get back into something similar. But that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the old put your. Uh, your oxygen on for first from the airplane before correct. you can uh, before you can help others correct and more. Um, so who got you into golf and how old were you when that happened?
1: My dad uh, got me into golf probably when I was eight or nine years old. Um, you know he played he was he fished he hunted and then he started playing golf later in life and he got hooked on it and so it was something for us to do together. I remember going to the driving range and initially playing you know matchbox cars and the gravel and taking a few swings and then the just the time spent on those things started to flip uh, and I hit more balls and I played in the, the gravel with matchbox cars at the uh, McFarland bottom driving range and then really uh, a guy named Chris Burns who was the PGA professional at our club our home club and my parents were members um, was phenomenal with kids created an environment that was fun Um, had a very organized way of of doing things in terms of um, teaching golf and so my dad introduced me but Chris Burns really is the one that taught me uh, gave me a passion for it gave me a passion for working in the industry as well and he just was the kind of person that he 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 wasn't um, it wasn't I guess like today where you're kind of you know, overcoached or you have all these different things that are going on. He gave you enough. And then you kind of went out and figured it out, you know, how to play the game, which is something that's missing with a lot of people. Uh, nowadays they, they try to over prepare or overdo things. And, um, he really just taught you the fundamentals and made it fun and, and it stuck. Have you, uh, have you kept in touch with him? Is yes. Yeah. Still, still in touch. Um, you know, owe a lot to him. He, he, I worked for him. It was my first job. Uh, and it's one of these things that uh, you may have to edit out later, but, you know, I was, was kind of off the payroll for a while, and just he just paid me, I remember, just out of kind of his cash box. He owned the the store, and there was no, you know, FICA or sales, and there was no taxes or anything. It was just like... Here, here you go under here, the here's table. what you're making today and then uh someone came in eventually and said you really can't do that and so, <laughs> yeah. so I, my, my paycheck started getting less and i was like what's what's going on what's here? going on here that like. was my first do- uh first dose of adultism uh was when that happened
0: what uh was do you have any particular like moment or um or remember like a, an event that made it where like it okay it's really starting to click this kind of love of of the, of the game
1: I think that um, I think working at the golf course, being around people, um, I really enjoy that environment. And um, not only just not only the people that worked in the golf, but the people that worked in the club. I remember some of the characters, some of the waitresses, some of the cooks, um, some of the other managers just remembered how all of them being together created something that was pretty special for people to come to enjoy. And so there's all kinds of um, – there was a, a a person that worked at the restaurant who had a recipe for a cucumber salad dressing, and it was closely guarded. Yep. No one knew it except for her. And um, somehow she got crossed with the gen- general manager, the club manager, and left the club, and the recipe went with and her. And took
0: it with her? That's – and, awesome.
1: <laughs> um, and it caused quite a uh, a thing at the club for a while, and they tried to replicate it, but they never could. Um, her name was Mert, and Mert, um, that's a great name. And it's funny that uh, just a couple years ago, my my dad, who's a pharmacist, Mert was one of his customers, and he asked her about the recipe. This is 25 years later, right? And she gave it to him. What? And I have it now. It's, what? It's in an, an industrial size. Uh, so I've had to. I've made it a few times and tried to scale it down, but I do have the original uh, cucumber salad dressing recipe from Mert. That um, is amazing. I may be the only one that knows it, except for her, but I'm
0: not sure. That but is, I'll go with it. That's outstanding. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, did you play golf competitively when you were growing up? Was it? Was that a thing? I did,
1: and and so Chris uh, Burns, one of the things that he did after every session on it was Tuesday mornings, ten o'clock. Um, he did an hour of instruction, and you always played a four-hole scramble. And, it, and there, was a, there was a competitive nature to what he did. Um, so got pretty good at it, played golf when I was in high school, played some of the local tournaments around where I grew up, eventually played number one on my team the last couple of years I was in school, um, got offered scholarships to smaller schools out of, sco- out of college, and chose to, to, to not go that route, I went ahead and, and started my degree at Mississippi State. Um, and I, I would say not having the chance to play college golf is one regret I do have. Um, and uh, just to know if you're ever good enough, I never thought I wanted to play for a living like most a lot of kids do now. Oh, really? Um, my best friend uh, growing up and still today – is a Stuart sink who plays on the tour and somehow i realized early on if i couldn't be the best kid at my own club how could i be you know how could i ever make it uh as a touring professional knowing that 125 people a year have a job on the PGA Tour. Oh, that's interesting. So y- did you and Stuart would play together in like in high school? Yes, we played against each other in high school. He went to a, 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 a the rival high school across town, but we worked together at Florence Country Club, so we got to be very close doing that. Um, so the working piece of it is where we got to,
0: and we played a lot of golf together. Um, still do. Was and he better then? Yes. So yeah, you could you had like a like you could you could tell there was a level that you are like I am not going to get to this level. Correct. So that's either like incredibly mature and brilliant, the fact that you like recognize that and had this other thing you wanted to do, Mm -hmm. or on the, you know, possible regret side, it's like, you know, never were able to fully give it a shot and really fully find out.
1: Right. Yeah. I I, I haven't really thought about it that way, but I do regret not knowing if I could have made it. Right. And whether it was just not enough of a passion of mine or, um, or knowing that I, how much better he was than i was i mean he won the state amateur when he was 16 years old or 17 years old good gravy and, and so he was not just a you know the best guy at our club he was the best guy in the state um he was recruited by i remember going over to his house i was a senior and he was a junior and, and he had a couch in his bedroom and i'd walk in and the, the, the couch would be covered with letters with all these college logos on it and i was like hey what's that and he goes oh there's some recruiting you know Letters, but literally any named program that you can think of, from Stanford to 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 anyone that was that was at the
0: top level of golf, he was being recruited. So let's so let's let's pick, let's say sixteen, mm-hmm. and you guys are both golfing. What what makes somebody a better golfer than another person? Is it, is it you know, obviously it's something that can be learned, but there's got to be some natural talent involved as well, right? I, I think that golf. Um, is is a very
1: unique sport for a couple of reasons. One, there is definitely a physical aspect to your body moving and creating club head speed and generating, um, you know the, the type of power that it creates to propel the golf ball forward. But it's also the the strategic part of it and the fact that the ball's not moving. You're 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 not reacting to anything except for your 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 own personal. Um, way of thinking about playing the game. And so you may have on one hole a lie that's a little bit downhill, a little bit uphill, a little bit side hill, or maybe completely flat. The wind may be against you or across, behind. You may not feel 100% or you may feel 100%. I mean, there's so many different factors to how your mind processes what you're getting ready to do. The guys that make it and gals that make it at the top level – are not only physically gifted but they have a way of thinking about them that allows them to shut certain parts out and just focus on doing you know, the thing that's at hand and more importantly how they react when things don't go exactly right is, is the true measure of a great player because great players do not, you know, they may hit it one bad shot, they rarely hit two bad shots in a row and so they find a way to save shots whether it be making putts practice short game, So they do the mundane things like putting and chipping that no one else really wants to do. Everybody wants to hit driver and hit it a long way and makes a big sound, and, and that's fine. But the great players are great putters and chippers and managers of themselves.
0: What are things that they do to uh, augment and enhance that ability to shut down part of the brain? Uh, there, I,
1: I think it's a unique combination of competitiveness and... And um, just ability to focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And and perhaps it it comes from their reason for doing it. Um, You know, everybody uh, likes to think about the outcomes. Oh, I'd love to win that tournament. I would love to be known as the best player at my club. But what I've seen, great players aren't thinking about the end. They're thinking about, you know, what's right in front of them and knowing that things will happen good in the, in the, in the future, if they take care of what's happening in front of them. So many people focus on the end result, either it be what other people are going to say about you or how you think about yourself versus the guy that's out there going, I need to make a hundred three foot putts before I can go home tonight. Cause I know I'm going to need to make these putts going forward. It's a, it's a, it's a w- different way of thinking about things. And I, I, and sudden, certain people can overcome, they're physically gifted enough to overcome some of the shortcomings and thinking through. But over the long run, the ones that are really great, no, no matter what level it is, will be more like the latter than the person
0: that's thinking, oh, I w- I, you know, I'd love to win the club championship. Well, of course you would, but are you willing to, you know. Right. You have to love the process of what you're doing just as much as the imagined results mm-hmm. and that, then, and, that might and
1: be. Exactly. And knowing – that to be competitive the guy that you're playing against probably is not doing these things um, but you are you've you've hit you practiced that chip shot you make sure that your your grooves are clean or your whatever it is you've prepared yourself it's it's like anything else people don't want to do the preparation they just want to
0: show up and you know knock, knock it out of the park every time yep that's that's incredibly true and hits very close to home mm-hmm. uh, I know I have that, a lot of that in me uh, how to why Mississippi State how did you pick that?
1: Uh, well, it's a funny story. Um, I was a senior in high school, and I would I would say I was a good student. I, I, it's, I think most subjects came pretty naturally to me. Um, some didn't, and it frustrated me. But um, So I had already been... I kind of figured out that I liked the business side of things. I was already uh, scheduled to enroll at the University of Alabama. My plan was to... Either major in business or pre-law. I didn't know which one yet. I figured I'd kind of. Back then, it was it was there wasn't as much, at least in my family, wasn't a much as much attention on all of the different things you know as it relates to college, doing all the visits and doing all these career. It just was different. But yeah. I got a call from our guidance counselor um, in the spring of my senior year. I was already scheduled to go to Alabama, and it said, hey, uh, I got this invitation from Mississippi State. They want you to come down and take some tests and learn about the university. And I was a senior in high school, and I was like, well, when is it? And they were like, what's so-and-so these dates? They were during school days. I was like, <laughs> yeah. free day of class. Let's do this. And um, so I had I planned accordingly, and I scrolled away some, some beers and – and had them iced down in the cooler, and I was like, I'm going to go down there and stay in the Holiday Inn and have a few beers and watch a movie and go take these tests and come home the next day.
0: Right. What's not to like?
1: Perfect a little uh, – and, and miss a day of class. It was perfect. So I went down there, took the tests, um, and I found out about a major they had called professional golf management, which was um, only offered at the time – Four universities in the country had it uh, Mississippi State, Penn State, New Mexico State, and a small school in Michigan called Ferris State. Okay. And I was like, okay, um, well, this is interesting. This is golf and this is business. One of the things I was thinking about doing in Alabama was a business degree. So I was like, well, I'm going to get the same degree. If I choose not to love golf, I still have a business degree. I can go get an MBA or do a, a myriad of other things. So I was like, why not? Um, did not know a single person that was going there from high school. I didn't even know what the mascot was when I went down there the first time. <laughs> I, I I was I grew up an Alabama fan, and right. you grew up in Alabama, it's either Alabama or Auburn. It's you know everything else really doesn't exist. Um, and so I went down there not knowing anyone, which turned out to be you know a great college experience for me because it was basically you know you're going to sink or swim. There was no support network i didn't
0: know i didn't know a soul when i went there were you an extrovert back then um would you consider yourself an extrovert
1: no i I would say that and i really never knew this about myself but i remember going back to my i guess it was my 20th high school reunion and and people would come up to me and like when did you become talkative in the life of the party and all these kinds of things, and I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't. I always thought I was kind of this way, right? But maybe I wasn't in high school. Um, so probably wasn't when I started there. Um, was pretty reserved, were um, careful, cautious. Um, but maybe that forced me to, to come out of my shell a little bit. But um, I, I guess that I was I was that way in certain circumstances. If I felt comfortable, that I could, you know. Uh, with the people that were in the room or whoever's around. But if if I didn't know the people, it was a different story. So now I've just kind of done a complete 180, and I will go out dressed up as whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, And it just happened two nights ago. I went to see the Yacht Rock review, and um, as far as I know, I have the largest uh, velvet blazer collection inside 285. I have eight different colors of velvet, um, and I love cold weather. So I wore my Christmas red velvet blazer to the Yacht Rock show, and uh, within 45 seconds, which is a new record, a complete stranger walked up to me and rubbed my arm. It's the fabric of kings. It's, you know, and then her friend came over. She went over and told her friend. Her friend came over and did the same thing and turned around and walked away and then came back and did it again. All the all the while, my wife is in line getting us drink. <laughs> <laughs> and you're being pawed at. Yeah, so I was like, you know. I don't know. I, just I
0: think look. I need to invest in a velvet jacket. Yes, I, I would hy- I don't. I don't need to compete with your uh, eight, but maybe maybe one. Well, you know, to the, begin you know, with, I want to you know go slow into this. Take it slow, baby steps. That's right. Uh, but I read an article, I think
1: in Men's Health, that that uh, that women love soft fabric, you know, cashmere
0: or velvet, or I was like, oh, okay i wear one of those. See what happens. There's lots of benefits. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so how was the program at Mississippi State? Did you Were you immediately like, okay, this is interesting. This is still you know along the lines of what I'm interested in?
1: It was. And, and the way that they design it is um, you, you get into the program, you do classwork, and then you do internships. And it's a very regimented. So you know from the minute that you go into the program until the, the semester you graduate what you're going to be doing. So you go, you know, back when I was there, you went two semesters, worked a summer, came back, did two semesters, worked, then worked two semesters, came back. So they alternated the internships
0: within the program. So and we did 20 months internship as part of the program. And what jobs are they training you for? Well – Or is this more – is this still more generalized learning or is it more like technical or – It was – especially the first couple
1: of internships, grunt work. You know, you're working in the carts, you're working behind the counter, you're bringing people in. You're just kind of learning the business, so to speak. Are you playing golf as well? Oh, yes. I mean, you need to be good at golf to yes. be doing
0: this, correct? Correct,
1: yeah. yes. Um, you have to pass a, a playing ability test at, at, a, at a certain point within the prog- the program to kind of graduate, uh, or to graduate and then become a Class A PGA member, which I am now. So there's a, there's a playing ability test part of it that's um but you know i would say another regret that i had my first internship i went back to my club in alabama and it was so i was i guess a year removed and it just was totally different it was to me it was a complete whiff the the advisor they should not let you do that they should say no you want to go do this instead we're going to send you here you're going to be living with eight guys in the in the basement of some something or another, out on Long Island, and you're going to experience something totally different than what you know. Well, I wish I would have done that.
0: Tell me more about why it was a whiff. Like so, what what didn't, didn't happen that needed to happen? I didn't learn anything. Okay. It was
1: and, and plus it was you know the phrase you can't go home again. Yeah. You know it was just a it was an easy choice, and I thought it would be fun, and I, I really wish I would not have done it, um, but I did. And now I tell people that who ask me that are in the program never to do that. Unless there's some sort of, you know, you're, you're, have an alien parent, you need to be close by, something like that. That's different. But, um, I wish
0: I would have gone and seen another part of the world. Right. Well, that makes sense. So tell me about the playing, the playing test, because that sounds like something that would be, um, incredibly stressful. Because you've probably done well you know, in all these other arenas, and there's mm-hmm. just one thing, literally a, you know, a round of golf, yes, or more than one round of golf, that'll 30- decide whether you get to be in this degree or not. Right. So it's a 36-hole
1: um, uh, test, and there's this target score. So you know you either, you either shoot below it and pass, or you shoot above it and don't pass.
0: Were you guys freaking out? How'd you deal with that?
1: Well, the first time I, I tried it, I didn't approach it in the right frame of mind and thought it would be easy because I was playing well. I was like, I don't even need to worry about this. I don't need to prepare for it. And I think I ended up missing by one shot. And I was like, man, that's all this time and effort and not to pass the first time. And so the second time I took it on passed with, with ease, I approached it differently. So I viewed it as a, a learning, um, opportunity for me to say, even though you think that you've got it mastered or it's going to be something that should be easy for you, if you don't prepare yourself, um, Sometimes the outcome that you think that's going to happen does not happen, um, and so I, I, I was a lesson learned um, just to take things. And I and I would say that I'm still struggle with that. You know, to to say if this is going to be relatively a, a layup, you know, you may not put as much effort into it as you should. Right. And sometimes you don't do as well as you could have. Um, and I think that that's a little bit of discretionary effort. Um, I mean, sometimes you run out of energy, but I, I think that that is uh, maybe it's human nature, but it's something I'm still trying to do better at.
0: Well, it's easy to be complacent on on a skill or something that you think you have you know, have licked, and but you know you use it, you know, or you lose it. Right, you're right. um yeah. That sounds incredibly stressful to me. Right. Uh, so how, you know, during college, I, I mean, I'm a, a new golfer, a new ish golfer, mm-hmm. or at least kind of play more, but in college, like I, even I would play a, a decent amount of time. So how often were you playing in college? I was playing a lot, you know, and that we three times a week, three, Is that- three
1: or four times a week, even if it wasn't 18 holes, I worked, um, while I was in school, uh, I worked at the local golf course for, for a couple semesters, and then I landed a job at a, a really nice private club that was about 30 miles away called Old Waverly. And I really learned at Old Waverly kind of how, I don't want to say the other half lives, but it was a really nice place. And, um, it, uh, and the, the professional there gave me some responsibility. Um, and by the time I was a senior, I basically – was treated as a full-time employee in terms of responsibility. And, um, I just loved working there. The Bryans owned it. George Bryan of Bryan foods. Um, they were based in West Point, Mississippi, where O'Waverly was. And he just had a way of always wanting the best of everything. And I really admired that about him. And no one, I hadn't really been close to someone that was like that, hmm. that, you know, had their own private jet that would fly. And there was this completely different lifestyle that I didn't, I knew nothing about. Um, and so I think that I learned more about those types of things there, kind of the the finer things, if you will, if that's possible in West Point, Mississippi. At least it was inside the it gates.
0: Cl- clearly is. Right. Uh, how did you get that job?
1: I don't remember. You know, I think they were probably looking for some cart guys to start the season, and maybe I knew somebody that worked there. I, I really don't remember the process of getting the job. Um, I just remember the people that I worked for. And... Um, I remember the working there in the carts. You know, you're getting tipped, so you'd go home every night later than most other people that your 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 buddies that were working other jobs. But you have a pocket full of cash, and on the way back to Starkville, Starkville, Mississippi, did not sell cold beer. Mm. City ordinance could not buy cold beer. Really? So, but on the way home, we were in the county adjacent. And there was a a, a store positioned. county county line line. (laughs) right to that store every single time get cold beer drive home so you're popular when you get home
0: that's right um sounds like college sounds like fun yeah yeah uh how many people were in your program there was about a hundred guys in my class oh really that big Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting
1: yep and so it's it's a great program it's still you know going today now there's about i think 17 or 18 different programs that are around the country most of them are housed in universities that have strong turf grass programs or hospitality programs Oh, that um, makes sense and so mississippi state it was a business degree which appealed to me but mississippi state has a great turf grass program and so some of the more challenging classes in the in my major involved landscape architecture golf course design turf grass management a lot of chemistry why do you do what you do to the grass? Um, how do you how do you operate that part of the business as a or that part of the of course as a business? Um, so I, that kind of thing really appealed to me. Um, some of the other universities, it's in the hospitality management, um, in which is is fine, but it kind of pigeonholes you to one particular set of skills. You're you're kind of you're in, you're, a, you're working at a hotel or you're working at a resort or you're working at a club. I like the the broader business aspect that
0: I got, and plus the turf aspect at Mississippi State. Oh, that's cool. What? Uh, so you graduated college? Mm-hmm. Uh, you are you need a job? I presume you can't, or are you gonna? Was it the situation where you could have continued on at the the club? It it was near the school,
1: and 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 the guy that I worked for uh, there, Ernie Blue. Um, so at the same time that I was graduating, we were uh, Carrie and I were planning on getting married, and so she was graduating at the same time. So we're trying to figure out. She's going to grad school, and Carrie's uh, your wife. You guys met. You guys met at Mississippi State, correct? Yeah. Okay. Carrie's my wife. Um, met at Mississippi State. I can tell you a story about our first date later. Um, Outstanding. It's a good one. But the um, so she's looking at grad graduate programs, and she's a tax accountant. So it was it was University of Memphis, University of Florida, University of Alabama, universities that were known for an MTA Master of Tax Accounting, and so there's not many clubs and we we kind of ruled out University of Memphis so it, it kind of or I'm University of Florida so it got down between Memphis and and um and Alabama so we I started interviewing for jobs near both places and the one in there was one in Memphis that was promising I really didn't think it was going to be great long term um Tuscaloosa had two nice clubs and so the options are kind of limited there but I was talking to to them and um at the same time, Ernie, uh, who was my boss at Old Waverly, pulled me in his office, and and so Old Waverly is about ninety minutes or a little bit less than that from Tuscaloosa, so reason you know close enough. He pulled me in my office and shut and set me down. He said, "Listen, I know that this is you're in, you're under a lot of stress right now. You're trying to figure all this stuff out." He said, "You can stay here as long as you want. If you need if you need to come in and close because your commute's long," he said, "We'll work with you." He said, "You have a job." He said, "So just, uh, yes, this is not the most ideal situation for you, but you have a job, and so that was such an incredibly kind um, gesture on on their part. And so we started looking at places that were halfway in between Tuscaloosa and 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 West Point, and there's just not a lot of good options. But we were prepared to do that, right? And then um, at the at, meanwhile, during that process, I interviewed at North River." Yacht Club, which is in Tuscaloosa, and um, ended up getting hired there. So we were able to live in Tuscaloosa, which made it a lot easier, um, especially our first year of marriage to to be so much closer to where things were.
0: Yeah, no, that the first year of marriage is so stressful, you know, to begin with. Much less having to worry about longer commutes for right. both of you. Right. Uh, do you think having that job offer in the back pocket made you a little more? Attractive to the uh, potential employers? Or are you more relaxed? or Possibly. Or,
1: yeah. I, I think that what, what ended up happening in North River is they had a, a resort, a hotel on property. And they wanted me – they needed somebody to start the season. So I wasn't graduating until May. And so I uh, secretly went over and stayed in the lodge every weekend my senior year in college and worked. So, so they give the other two guys – a day off I'd work Saturdays. I'd get there Friday night after class work Saturday Sunday drive back to school on, on Sunday night and go back to class on Monday I did that February March April in May um, so I kind of started halfway in in uh, in February so yeah. they really needed somebody to just to, to spell it so that was unusual to, to do it that way but I agreed to do it to get to be guaranteed the position in May.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, like, what what do you why do you think you were hired over the other candidates? But I think a lot of it might have to do with the, having the drive to be able to do that and yes. to want to do that. I
1: was willing to do it, and I'd met the um, the head professional there at a seminar that he came to Mississippi State and did a seminar on calligraphy, um, which is a – really die. yes, it's a dying art form. But I can do it. Um, I can do it quickly, and you can read it. And for scoreboards, um, I refuse to do wedding invitations. It's just not enough money in it, and it's a pain in the butt. But um, I've done a few of, for friends. But um, Right. But it's, uh, so I met him in this seminar, and it just shows the power of networking. I stayed in touch with him. I asked him questions about what he was talking about. And lo and behold, a year and a half later, these circumstances came forth, and now it wasn't a cold relationship. So at least I had a relationship with him to, to be part of the interview process
0: that's that's amazing so is was this a seminar he was giving for yours because it's because it comes up and sure
1: it's something that as a golf professional at a nice club when you're writing scores you know do you want to be the one holding the the pen you know caveman style or do you want to be able to whip out you know really legible numbers and names quickly that look great and you know so he, he he taught us the process to do it um and I practiced
0: over and over and over, and I could just do it without even thinking about it. Okay, if I don't you, want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but I've, I can't <laughs> leave this alone. Um, so, tell me one, one or two points of what makes someone good at calligraphy, or what what separates it from. I mean, I, I'm aware of what it is, but I'm I have no detailed knowledge whatsoever.
1: Well, two things. One is the type of pen you use. It's a it's a straight edge pen, and the way that you hold the pen. And the way that you kind of pull it, you're not actually writing things. You're 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 forming multiple strokes to form yeah. characters, and so he taught us the alphabet, upper, lowercase, all, and then all the numbers, and so I can you know do an uppercase first name, lowercase, and then do
0: eighty four by your name if you shoot eighty four. Um, Pretty could you, quick. Could you please do 84 for me? Sure. I by can. my name? Thank yes, you. That, yes, Because that's, that's uh, not going to happen otherwise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's – I think that those two things and then having the um, – having it memorized where so you're not having to – because what's going to happen when you're in that situation, you've got a bunch of members standing behind you that are – interested in the results of whatever it is that you're posting so the pressure is going to be on it's like writing for me uh uh, when you used to write on chalkboards it's like my ability to spell just goes out the window as soon as you get up on this chalkboard i forget how to spell and whether that's because you're fearful of what's going on behind you or whatever similar for calligraphy so having it be second nature
0: and knowing some basic strokes and having the right equipment those that's really the key to it what are the other random skills that I would that you know the layperson would not associate with with being you know a, a golf professional oh hmm.
1: gosh I mean you know I think the ability to read people the psychology part of it is is pretty interesting um, knowing what to say and how to say it and and knowing having the the right level of empathy and intelligence is really the skill that you see in a lot of successful guys in, in this business Um you know, somebody smart once told me that, um, you know, you're going to lose a lot of battles, even though you're right and you know that you're right. If you cannot stand down at times when it just the political uh, capital that you're giving up is not worth it, at certain points you have to stand your ground. But, you know, you're going to have situations where you're just, the member is just flat out wrong and you have to bite your tongue. And, and, you know, and if it's unless it's something illegal or, you know, something like that, you just have to let it go. Right. You have to be able to turn it off. Um, so I think that that part of it, you know, you have members that come in and when you teach lessons, some people just want to talk about what they're doing. What kind of learner are you? Are you are you visual or do you hear things or you just want to talk to somebody and you really don't you don't really care what I have to say. You just want me to listen to what you have to say. <laughs> and And there's people like that and and if, they, and if they if you do that and they leave with one little tip on their golf swing they're going to think you're the best teacher ever because so many instructors are just constantly you know either they're not self-confident or they're just just oblivious to the fact that you don't need to say all this stuff to to someone working on their golf game the person over there just wants to get better right they don't really care how smart you are or what you know i just want to get better
0: and they don't know how to get better so you have to kind of uh, amend your ways to what's going to work for that, that particular learner. Right. So
1: that skill set, knowing how to navigate personality, um, is, is really important. And um, maybe more, it's, it's kind of an unusual circumstance. You know, when you're, as an adult, how many things did you go get a lesson for? I mean, not it doesn't happen terribly often. Um, and even when you do decide to do that, you – Really, some people just really don't want to hear what you have to say because they right. think they just read in Golf Digest that they're supposed to do this, this, and
0: that. So they just want you to tell them that's right. And you know, and I was like, well, that's not. Did is this something you guys worked on in the program? Like, how do you how do you how do you train for this? I don't. We didn't really work on that. Um, I think that the
1: apprentice part of the golf business, watching how people above you handle situations, is where you learn that skill. And then certain certain people are just wired. You know they're not going to be good at it. If you're highly opinionated um, and just cannot leave things alone for whatever reason, you're not going to have success. Eventually, it's going to bite you. Um, I think those two things. Just watching how others, you know, and then being curious enough to say, "I just saw you did. Th- Why did you do that?" Right. You know, or you know, somebody smart once told me, um, you know, the best thing to 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 do, whether it's an employee that you're supervising or, or someone else. If you see somebody do something that's good, you go up to them and say, oh, tell me how you did that. And there's no sweeter sound than someone asking you
0: that. Yeah. Who, who, who hates to hear that question? Nobody. Yeah. So you're in Tuscaloosa. What's your title? Are you an assistant golf pro? Assistant golf professional. Yep. Okay. And what is what are the duties of an assistant golf professional? What's your job? Really just opening and
1: closing the shop, helping with merchandising, um, one of the more interesting duties that we had at North River, um, we were it was called a yacht club, even though there were no yachts. Um, the uh, Lake Tuscaloosa, where the club was situated, had a marina, but it was also the primary water source for the city of Tuscaloosa. So there, would be, there were no boats on Lake Tuscaloosa that had onboard bathrooms. So it was pontoons, bass boats, you know, ski boats, that kind of thing. But the person that owned North River at the time, uh, was not a golfer um, we had to call him commodore
0: <laughs> <laughs> what
1: yes and so of course um, you did yes and so he would come into the golf shop and just sit down in a chair like a chair that where you would you know like trial and shoes of your person right and he'd just sit there and i uh, first time he came in i was working and i was like what's the deal and the guy's like oh you need to go get the commodore some coffee i was like Okay, <laughs> so he would just come in and just expect that you would go get him a cup of coffee, know what he wanted in it, and it wasn't it didn't happen often, but it happened enough to where I, I, that had struck me as really odd. Yeah. Um. So things like that is what you do, right? Um, you know, it just really whatever it takes behind the scenes to make things go. Um. The, the head professional or the manager is usually out in front, dealing directly with members, is helping some with the day to day mundane task, but the assistant really is doing all of the answering the phone booking tea times you know doing the junior clinics the things that um, may be considered as a little beneath a man you know one of the managers
0: when do you start doing lessons or is that how does that or I know not probably all places offer lessons but i think it depends on the club okay and so
1: and it depends on your interest mm. and uh, your reputation a lot of good players people ask them uh, to give lessons but that's not really Sometimes doesn't equate. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're a good teacher. Um, And so I think that as you kind of continue on your career path, you you kind of get struck. So you know, I I kind of enjoyed helping Mrs. Jones save five strokes off her game. I really want to focus my time on that. Right. Or you may say I really hated doing that, and I would rather be doing anything else but that. But I will do it if I have to.
0: Did you gravitate towards that or away from that? I
1: gravitated. Um, I would say somewhere in the middle. You know, I was more interested in the business management side of things than I was teaching golf. I do enjoy teaching golf when I have time, and I still do it some, but um, I don't do as much as I used to. What? Um, so how long were you in Tuscaloosa? We were there um, about a year and a half. Okay. And um, uh, Carrie got uh, job offers when she was getting ready to get out of school from all the, at the time, the big six, I guess, accounting firms. Now there's four. Um, she got an offer from Pricewaterhouse and also Arthur Anderson in Atlanta. She took the job at Price Pricewaterhouse. Um, so we knew kind of where we were going. Um, my boss I tried to, to convince us to stay. Um, he was pretty well connected in Tuscaloosa and thought that we would have opportunities there. And we really just didn't think that that was, it certainly wasn't the best for both of us. Um, and so we decided to move and, um, and we moved to Atlanta in the the Monday after the Olympics in
0: 1996. Okay. So tell me about trying to find a job in Atlanta. Well, are you, are you, you, do you know, do you know pretty much now what you want to do? And the question is, can I find it? Yes. So I
1: knew that, um, I was going to look for a similar position in Atlanta. There's obviously the market is a lot bigger. And so use the power of networking and relationships to start talking to people back in, we left in, I guess, August. So I started talking to people back in the, in the early spring of the, of 96 people that I knew from school. um, It's, it's amazing how open people are. If you just pick up the phone and say, I want to come by and introduce myself to you and talk to you about future job opportunities. So I met with Dan Murphy at Cherokee, his brother Dick at Peachtree um i met with rick anderson at the athletic club and just to started networking with with people and then uh a friend of mine from mississippi state was working at east lake and um went by and and met jim gerber who was the director of golf there and said hey i'm coming to Atlanta in august just be thinking anything pops up and just stay in touch with them this is before um you know all the job sites and all this kind of stuff so it was out Passing resumes out, shaking hands, and having people know who you are. Is there email at this time?
0: Are you emailing? Yes, like- but
1: it's very, it's, it wasn't um, as easy or prevalent as it is now, right? Um, and so, so how would you how would you stay in touch? Like, how would you call them? Okay, yep. Um, this before Facebook or any of that stuff. Hmm. Um, and so I, I would I would call them and um, and really just. Make sure that your name's out there, you know, had a really nice business card, just presented yourself well when you walked in. And it and wasn't really looking for an answer right then, but at least they knew who you were. Um, and so um, I can't remember exactly when the I was offered the job at Eastlake, but I didn't have anything else lined up because moving in, in, a, in August was just a not a very good time to be looking for a job in the golf business because the season's underway hopefully you're fully staffed and you're not really, you're just trying to hang on through.
0: Oh, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So it wasn't a great time, but Eastlake, there was an opportunity there, so that's what ended up happening. And so you got the job as assistant professional. You are starting, you're doing those things, you're opening up the shop. Uh, yep. Tell me a little bit about Eastlake uh, for those in the audience who, who don't know about it. So Eastlake um, is the oldest golf course in the city of
1: Atlanta. It was uh, originally built in 1904, and it was the golf course or the site where Eastlake sits today was the original site of the Atlanta Athletic Club. And so in 1898, the Atlanta Athletic Club um, had a facility downtown. It was the only facility they had. And they decided they wanted to do have a country club. And so at the time where Eastlake is now in Atlanta was in the country. And so they started researching options to add golf to the other sports they had like swimming and gymnastics and other things that were popular at that time of the, um, in the in the history and so they they found this this plot of land they built a golf course and then they they um that was the country club of the atlanta athletic club uh so it was a very active place it was it was um you know over time they added a second golf course and then then by the time the 40s and 50s came it was you know the height of popularity um, even the 20s I mean the 20s and 30s there's pictures that we have of huge massive parties black tie complete blowouts um, and then you had you know World War one and World War two and some things happened but it still chugged along and was very popular until um, the early 60s and um, in Atlanta at that time uh, race, civil unrest, race uh, riots and things. It was pretty close to downtown. And I think the area around it began to change a little bit. People started thinking about not being in that part of the uh, town. And so they decided to, um, to move or to consider moving the facility out to where they are now in Johns Creek. And so that happened in the early 70s. Um, the area surrounding the club really declined uh, rapidly um and by the time the early 90s rolled around it was insolvent and bankrupt and um a guy named tom cousins bought it basically on the courthouse steps at auction and decided um he had grown up there and knew what it was before it was the home course of bobby jones and had all these wonderful tournaments over the years the Ryder cup was there the the u.s women's am was there in 1950 and all these other you know, basically anyone who was anyone who to play the golf course and it just fell victim to the surrounding area. Um, and so he decided to purchase it and, and to revitalize it and use it to, to help fund uh, a pretty amazing, um, idea to transform the area, uh, right across the street called East Lake Meadows. Um, it was an idea that no one thought was good except for him and, um, I admire him so much for having the, the fortitude, um, to do it and uh, now part of what we do or the reason the club exists is a, is a basically a, a way to raise money to funds those efforts um, so it's a really
0: incredible uh, project yeah so what is golf for the purpose golf for the purpose
1: um, it, it was our is our phrase that was coined early in the process because most private country clubs are not not-for-profit by nature so they're they there's a certain tax advantage to being set up that way and um but east lake is a is a for-profit business we're trying to, to make a profit and trying to help fund um some of the things that that are that are part of the east lake foundation and and um in the east lake community like our first tea program is a good example of that but on a broader uh, scope golf with the purpose is the reason we host the tour championship. It's the reason we host the East Lake cup, which is a made for TV college event. We have a celebrity uh, pro-am called the East Lake invitational. It's a fundraiser for the East Lake invitation or for the East Lake foundation. And so those things, um, you know, create a, 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 a pretty large amount of, of, uh, of funding for some of the nonprofit work that's being done. And so while uh, the profits that we make from an operational standpoint, aren't, aren't lining anyone's pockets um, we still are operated that way so I think that back to your earlier question what appealed to me is running I'm actually running a business you know so it's it's not it's different than it is in a lot of other places that you're you're held accountable for the, the performance of the business but you have these other things that are coming into it these golf tournaments that really fuel um, your my desire to to be the you know consummate host you're hosting the world basically when the tour championships there and um but at the same time at the end of the day that the, the, the charitable piece is is going to be a massive donation every year
0: uh, which funds all these incredible programs that are really changing lives so tell me about how because you're obviously you've been with east like from then on mm-hmm. so tell me about your kind of path up to doing what you're doing now so I
1: started in August uh, August 13th 1996 and within four months of being there by November or so um, I could Eastlake was not a place I wanted to be part of it, um, it 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 was just not what I thought it would be it, and, it, and, and in fairness to people that were uh, there at the time it was, was beginning to it was a it was a young business and so it was it was um, you know trying to figure itself out but it, it just didn't feel like um, with everything that had been spent to renovate the place the way that it was being operated and managed I just didn't think was good
0: can you go into detail of what you mean by that well
1: yeah I, th- I think there's just the area of focus that we weren't focused on the members and there was there, it was like everyone was uh, in well, most everyone there was focused on something other than the member. And that's, I, I came from a place that
0: the member was number one. What are the, what are even the other options to be focused on?
1: Well, just the operation or, or just what you're into or, or just it's, you know, it, it was just kind of a weird environment. It's just like we weren't focused on what it, on how we treated the member and how that was going to impact us long term as a business. Gotcha. Um, and so the little things, the, the unsexy things to me, everybody was focused on the bigger things. Um, and, and I thought that that was just not good. And in um, and, fact, and what happened was the, the, the person that hired me, there was some sort of falling out with the club management. He was relieved of his duties. I came in one morning for work. He's, not, he's gone. Um, I don't know what happened. I just know that he's not there anymore. And um, then the dominoes started to fall. Uh, the guy there were some people that were loyal to him they did they weren't happy with the fact that he was he was gone and so they decided they were gonna leave and I remember walking out with my buddy lance uh to our cars one night and it was basically the two of us that were left and 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 then some other people that were not as uh prepared i would say for the opportunity and um so we were like okay we're gonna we're gonna figure this thing out together and uh, there was a lot of uncertainty um and then um, lance about 2 weeks later we had, we were walking out again to our cars and he told me he's like listen i'm i'm leaving i'm taking a job in chicago i'm going he's from the chicago area he had two young girls at the time he had his parents grandparents everybody was up in chicago he did, he wanted to get back to chicago and he said i'm 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 out i'm 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 leaving too he would have been in line to be the head professional and and so here i am um, less than 6 months Um, employed there in kind of the last man standing Um, and so I can't remember exactly when the movie Jerry Maguire came out okay but it was right around that time I think right so I had a total Jerry Maguire moment and wrote a about an eight page dissertation on things that I thought could be done better at the club and the reason why I was the guy that could do it you're what, our, you're 25, 24 yes, now? 25. Uh, requested the meeting with the club president and the club manager and just walked in and slid across the table just like Jerry did at the trade show when he made all the copies. Um, and um, the initial reaction from was, uh, I think they were a little bit surprised at the, how frank and um, honest I was. And But I was at a point in my life at the time that I was either going to get promoted or I was going to get fired. Okay. One of the two, and I was ready for both, and so, um, because I just didn't want to be part of something that wasn't awesome, and yeah. um, and I even even at twenty five, I knew that we were far from awesome, <laughs> and, um, I knew enough to, about how to treat people and how things should be done that we were not doing those
0: things. So your 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 focus of the with this letter is really customer service. It is yeah, member service. It, it yeah. is
1: yeah. I mean you've already done you've already spent twenty seven million dollars to renovate the building and the golf course. How can we not have be doing this? You know, providing towels or whatever it was, you know, right. pick an example. Trivial stuff. Right that not we but, but that matters. That matters. Oh it matters to the membership, yeah, certainly. And so I remember sitting in the Watts Gun room at Eastlake and, and having this meeting and, and having some uncomfortable moments about it. Um, at, right after that and then a couple days later they came in and slid across a 6 month contract and said let's see what you can do. I was like,
0: "Great." All right, so how did you begin? You got you have a 6 month contract. How did you prioritize what to do first? I think that the, the first things was to get some some staff,
1: you know, some people that could could help execute. Um so I was named head of golf professional in February of 1997. Um immediately Um, started looking for some people to help in in the various parts of the operation that I thought we needed Um, the caddy department was something that was we were very proud of and it was under managed so that was a priority Um, and then just having some people that worked in the shop that really cared about what they did Um, and I don't even remember who the first hire was I remember I hired some guys from Mississippi State kind of early on and some other universities Um, I was thinking about this other day trying to remember the sequence of when they started but we had a lot of good people that were there. And some of them are still there in some of the other departments. But it just wasn't a cohesive effort. Mm. Um, and not that it ever really gets to that point in any business. But we're as close as, you know, we're getting closer every single day. Um, but that was the first area of focus. And then to find out from my superiors what, the goal, what their goals were. What, what, what did they expect to happen in 1997? In Okay, and so list those down, get the staff in place, and just hang on. at That point, and just really try to, to see if you can do it. Just working a lot of long hours, um, but it's that's that's kind of how you how it how that's where we were as a business at the time,
0: and so
1: that's what that's what I did.
0: So when it came to writing this memo, uh, I want to just backtrack just for a second. Mm-hmm. Is this something like you discuss with your wife, Gary, yes. and you guys? Talk, obviously because she's very successful in mm-hmm. business as well uh, what how, what does that conversation look like I,
1: I well I think she was sick and he- sick and tired of hearing me complain about it <laughs> so it was probably a relief for her um, and we were both young enough to where I mean she was doing fine in her career we would have been just fine in, a, in the short term if I would lost my job and, and decided to go back to school I mean, I was already studying for the GRE. I was thinking about going to grad school. I mean, literally had been, spent that winter, that January, like went out and bought the GRE for dummies kind of thing and was studying for that, knowing that maybe I would get in and enroll in the summer at you know, Georgia State or somewhere in the MBA program. So I had a, in my view, a very clear, um, I had some options. Another option I had was caddying for my friend Stuart Sink. I had that in my back pocket. Hmm. Um so if I would have been fired in February of 2017, I would have caddied for Stewart that year. So he's been on the he's on the tour at this point. He's he had just graduated from the Nike tour. He won player of the year. He was hot. He he was and he went out and had a great rookie season. I would have made a lot of money doing that. But um, or more than I would have made it working at Eastlake. Caddies
0: get a percentage of the winnings. Is that I how get a it weekly
1: works? salary and a percentage. But I remember being over at his house, I was like, okay, option A is I'm going to get promoted. Option B, I'm going to go to school. Option C, some sort of combination of getting fired and trying to get ready for school. He said, well, you can come work to me until you figure out what school, what you're, if that happens. So we he lived in Smyrna and we had talked about it a lot. He and I, and we went over across the street from his house, there was a house under construction. We went over there and it was in the middle, it was dark. And we're walking through this house looking at the construction and that's when we had the conversation. Away from everybody that was inside his house, just kind of a man to man say, Hey, you've got this option if you need it. You're my friend. I'm not gonna let you, you know, just fall up through the cracks, you'll have some income. You'll have something to do until you figure stuff out.
0: That's amazing.
1: It was a, it was another instance. Just hearing me say it, thinking back to what Ernie said, it just goes to show you the power of relationships um, and how they can really change your your life. Yeah. Um,
0: what was the first? Or tell me at the end of the six months. What was that conversation like with the president? With the your higher ups? Um, well, in in that first six
1: months, they hired um, someone above me, a director of golf. And he told me later that they let him know kind of how things had gone down and that if he wanted to make a change, that he could. Um, and he decided not to, thank goodness. Um, and so I, from, from after he was hired, I mean, we kind of created the environment together. Um, but I had a very, you know, a lot of involvement in what was going on. Um, and so, it, it I think it made everyone comfortable having someone who was seasoned, who had been in the business for 20 years at that point. I'd been in the business less than, a well, less than two years. Right. I'm having someone that I could go to as a resource, made everyone feel comfortable. It's like, okay, well, we're good with that. He's doing a good job. And Mr. Cousins told me later, the owner, that one of the things that he admired about me the most, which contradicts most of what you hear from a management standpoint, is that you're not afraid to get your hands dirty and it and someone who at his level who's uber successful and wealthy that would notice those kinds of things. It's like, it goes against everything you read about management. You know, everybody says, Oh, you need to have people need to have their roles and responsibilities. You need to be managing and thinking about the future. And, and that's true. But if I see a piece of paper on the ground, I'm going to pick it up. Right. Or if we're short-handed in the grill, I'm going to run food or I'm going to do whatever it takes. Um, balance those two things is is pretty interesting but he noticed that about me um, that I, I was not afraid
0: to work what um, when did you start feeling like you guys were turning the tide a little bit and and seeing some progress in areas you wanted to see
1: it was it was that year it things uh, solidified we got someone hired to take care of the caddy program um, we had the tour championship coming for the first time in '98 how does that come about that that was already set before i started the the, the tour uh signed a, a deal with with east lake probably before the club even opened to bring the tour championship there in 98 so this is happening all this stuff is happening the year before we have the tournament um which looking back on it is pretty amazing but so we, we kind of had to we knew this this thing was coming it was a tremendous amount of work, especially for the first year. Cause you just don't know what to expect. Um, I've been through 17 of them now. It's a little bit different, but, um, it, it was pretty stressful because I, I can imagine. Um, and at that time we owned the merchandise, uh, the outdoor merchandise concession. So we ran the merchandise tent, um, outside up. was one of the things that I did and we did corporate sales. We did all kinds of things that were interesting the first couple of years, but, i think that it just we had a group of people that were there that understood that we have something big is coming and it's expected that we're gonna we're gonna knock it out of the park and we just
0: did the things that we had to do to to be ready all right i want to uh, veer away a little bit from golf and from this path and talk a little bit about something near and dear to my heart and that's food um i think your twitter handle says something about barbecue lover or grilled master or smoker or something i, I don't remember exactly what Pit it master. was Pitmaster. master yes uh <coughs> tell me about barbecue and your relationship to it
1: well i too am a lover of food and i appreciate the uh, this line of questioning um the barbecue let's just say passion for for, for <laughs> lack of a better word uh infatuation seems a little too much um <laughs> It it all started with um, well, it's it my love of cooking in general started way back, and um, my dad was a uh, in the National Guard, and for a certain stint within the National Guard he was a cook, and um, along with a bunch of other things. But and so he would always cook when we had big events growing up. So whether it be what it wasn't the Tuesday night. You know, chicken fingers. It was it was more like uh, we're having fifty people over for a fish fry, and he's going to set this thing up in the backyard, and we're going to go fish and get all this fish and cook it and feed the neighborhood. Um, he was more that guy, or if it was a pancake breakfast at the um, at church or something. So I was exposed to it early, and I enjoyed doing it. The barbecue piece of it came because my friend Stuart had um, just recently purchased a, a house up on Lake Kiwi a lake house and we would we typically would spend july 4th with them every year have been doing it for a number of years okay so we're trying to figure out a a gift for them like what do you give somebody that's you know got everything they need right and so we went to my buddy and i went to ace and we're like hey let's get them a smoker smoke some meat on there it sounds like sounds fun why not so we did that and um i remember reading the instruction manual we went to the grocery store got a piece of pork read the manual that came with the smoker and just absolutely burned the hell out of the, <laughs> the pork butt. The first year it was horrendous. It was a complete failure. Right. Um, okay. and, um, cause we just didn't know what we were doing. Sure. And, um, plus we were maybe a little drunk most of the day, but, um, that played into it, but we, we just completely flubbed it up. And, um, And so we're talking the next morning, Stuart and I are talking and we're like, we can't let this happen again. Right. You know, people were counting on us for dinner and we, I mean, it was almost, it it was almost inedible. And so that's when it started. Um, and I don't remember what year it was, but so the next year we prepared a little bit. We read about it. We did. It it was great. People, people liked what we cooked and it was fun doing it. And it kind of just took off from there. Um, we found out later that there was a competitive barbecue circuit. So, of course, we decided we were going to do that too. Um, and our, our team
0: name is Q School. I love that. Um, Explain all, what Q School is in the golfing world.
1: It's a, it's a play on the old qualifying school. Uh, they don't do it anymore, but it used to have a qualifying school for golf uh, for, for the PGA Tour. You had to go to Q School, qualify, and then if you, you, you played well enough, you got your card. Um, so... Um, Q was short for qualifying. RQ is short for barbecue. Um, So we started doing that. We had um, some level of success doing that. We won in 2000, maybe it was 15, I think. We won uh, first place in ribs in the professional category at the Atlanta Barbecue Fest.
0: That's that's okay. So, but. But from burning that first Boston butt to winning the how many how many animals <laughs> have been it wasn't a smoked. lot really it wasn't so, a lot well, how did you
1: get so how did you get so good so we quickly? just we just read about it and, and did some research just like I was talking about earlier we prepared what did you read and you know anything any books we, you'd recommend to, um, to people who a, want to learn about it there's a great book by um, Chris Lilly um, who is the operator and kind of face man of a restaurant called Big Bob Gibson's in uh, Decatur. Uh, Alabama, close to where we grew up, and that one book—it's—it's—it's it's, it's mainly a recipe book, but it also talks about the philosophy and the kind of the the culture of barbecue and how his how the restaurant his wife's grandfather started to today their mindset of how they treat people, and then the the recipes are kind of of interwoven. It's a fantastic um, book. It's one of the ones I could probably I I probably cooked. 25 recipes out of that one book which I can't say that about any other of my recipe books that I have oh, wow. cookbooks um, and it's, it's great it's not super difficult it takes some time which was why most people don't like it and it's not instant it, there's a, a if you're cooking with real wood there's a high amount of craft to it it's not something that's easy which is also appealing to me it's not something you can just plug and go It's you have to manage fire you have to worry about smoke you have to worry about it. there's a craft to it
0: is that um, what you guys use? Is you're, you're you're using real wood? We are. Or is it? What do you do? Anything to the wood? No, we we cook. Um, and so uh,
1: right before we started competing, uh, we purchased three of us purchased a fractional ownership kind of situation into a large smoker on a 13 foot trailer, um, a crowd pleaser, <laughs> I would say, outstanding. And so once we got to that stage, we started cooking with real wood. Um, hickory mainly um, Or any Or sometimes oak But mainly hickory um, And it's just Provides a, a flavor It's an offset smoker And it's just You know And by offset of smoker you What is the, it The firebox is not Or the fire is not Directly under the meat It's offset And so it it creates A flow of smoke Through kind of a
0: basically just the way that air flows. Because the um, former is grilling, right? If, grilling. You're, if you're grilling on di- the direct, that's direct heat. Correct. You're smoking something, you're using the smoke. It's and indirect. It's, it's right. indirect. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So, um, you know, and we just, and a lot of it is, you know, you trial and error, you try different things, you understand what it takes to to, um, to do it, and then just repeating it. And, um, and then once you start, kind of doing it a few times and people say that it's good you continue you know on that uh, i remember one of the, the 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 things that happened at that atlanta barbecue fest that i'll never forget after we turned in our brisket the last category for the competition we turned it in and jonathan and justin fox from fox brothers were there cooking and we knew them from you know just because they knew we love barbecue just to and, the circuit yeah, and they were obviously a whole different level than us, and still are. Um, th- those guys are awesome, and what they do is great. They were doing their kind of a entertaining. I um, had a, a, a VIP kind of situation they were cooking for. So they weren't competing in the, in the contest, but they came by and stopped by our tent, and they tried our brisket. And I watched them taste it and look at each other. Without, <laughs> and I knew then that maybe we were onto to something. Um, because those guys know what they're talking about, especially with brisket. And uh, our brisket finished fourth in that contest. Um, in the professional division, we won ribs. We finished fourth in brisket. I knew it was good when I saw them taste it.
0: That's amazing. So, is what is your favorite to cook?
1: I think ribs. Tell Um, me why. It's because they're so finicky and hard to get right. Mm. Um, they really, you really have to know what you're doing and pay attention to ribs, Um, because it's uh, you know, it's not a lot of meat. In between the two bones and, and having the right balance of smoke and, and, and moisture is, is a constant battle. It's easy to overcook them. That's why in the competitive barbecue circuit, falling off the bone, quote-unquote, is not desirable because anyone can cook them to fall off the bone. But You put them in the crock pot, they're going to yeah. fall off the bone. Right? To, I mean, anybody can do that. The people that really know what they're doing can get it to where you can actually take a bite and in in just the bite
0: Comes off And that's perfectly tender So uh, What what Part of the rib Are you buying Or if you go going to, If somebody wants to go to the butcher They want to learn how to smoke ribs What, what should they ask for
1: they're, Well we We cook on a St. Louis Cut spare ribs um, So it's a It's a And then the other option Is baby back Which is What You know Is more common On the competitive circuit It's It's a St. Louis cut spare back Or St. Louis cut Baby um, Spare ribs And so they're just They're thicker They're bigger and um, they're more expensive, which is why you don't see them in a lot of restaurants. How long does it
0: take to cook these well? Like Four to, hours. Where you? Four hours. Okay, and brisket would be longer, I presume? Brisket is a lot longer. Is but, shoulder long the butt? Is about an longer? hour
1: a pound is what we kind of estimate. So if you're cooking a you know, 12 to 15-pound brisket, it's gonna. It's, it's an all-night thing. Yeah. Um, but that's fun. Which is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> that's part of the part of it, right? Part of the fun. Um, in the butt, you know, usually a bone-in butt, seven, to eight pounds. Is sometimes it cooks a little quicker than that. Brisket will cook quicker than an hour a pound. Pork butts pretty close to an hour a pound.
0: I gotcha. What well, is that what is the secret to good barbecue? In the general secret, is it just low and slow? Is it? It's like it got to be a combination of things. But there, is there's one thing you imagine that the guy or girl at home who's doing this is doing wrong what what do you imagine that is i think that they're probably um under cooking
1: you know it's it's we we cook certain meats based on internal temperature because at a certain temp it's it's the the meat is is at the optimum level of tenderness um you know it's around 200 internal temperature for pork maybe a little bit more than that for brisket where it it, it's, it reaches a stage where it's absolutely perfectly tender. It's not, you know, what most people do um, on those bigger cuts of meat typically is the, the temperature kind of will stall out for a while. The, the chemical process or the breakdown just stalls, and it gets frustrating because it, it may take a couple hours to break through that, and then when it does, it just it goes right through it. And so I would say most people are, or don't cook it long enough, um, or they panic and oversaw something. Mm -hmm. so over saucing something is a mask
0: for meat that's not prepared very well let's talk about sauce for a couple of minutes um the way i understand it uh south carolina sauce is mustard based north Mm -hmm. carolina sauce is vinegar based kansas city is ketchup based a little sweeter yep a little sweeter um texas is kind of no sauce right uh so what do you guys do it's, you know, we're always searching for
1: the secret, what the judges are looking for. Um, if you if cook it just for, if we're having a barbecue in our backyard, I'll typically offer a couple different sauces because people lean one way or the other. Um, my personal preference on pork is a vinegar, hotter sauce, a thinner with almost no tomato at all, no sweet whatsoever. And just, um, and then for brisket, same, no sauce, salt and pepper in a beef flavor is what I like on brisket. Shouldn't have anything else on it. Um, ribs, I prefer more of a sweet sauce, more of a Kansas City style. Um, or you can get ribs that are more Memphis style that's just purely dry rub. You know, you go to Rendezvous, and it's like Greek seasoning that's just pure dry rub, kind of crispy. Right. Um, which I love. And so it really depends on what you like. Um, there's a couple outliers. The, the mustard-based South Carolina sauce tends to be people from South Carolina really love it, and then others are kind of like, I'm not sure about that. But, um, Where I am from in Alabama, for chicken, the sauce is white. It's a mayonnaise-based sauce. Really? um, Which is phenomenal on smoked chicken.
0: It's very peppery, very vinegary. It's hard to do smoked chicken. I haven't had the very much delicious smoked chicken.
1: Yes, and so we, um, my friend and I actually created an alternative version of the white sauce um, that I've been cooking now for a couple years, and... We created a sandwich um, that we put it on with with the pickles that I make, and we call it the Underground Chicken Sandwich. And um, and the reason we call it the Underground is because we did some pop ups around town, um, here and there. Whenever we decided we want to cook, we may just show up with a smoker, put on some chicken thighs, have some beers, sell some sandwiches, and we're gone. That um, sounds
0: amazing. I love that.
1: Yes. So we um, there's there actually there's a we have a Twitter account. So when we're cooking, we'll post it on Twitter um and um haven't done it in a while because my partner moved to birmingham but we we've done it several locations around atlanta from pont city market to the history center to uh the starlight drive-in for the atlanta film festival um oh that's a great idea yeah
0: so it was it was fun well uh, what's the tell everybody what the twitter handle is and we'll link to this in the show notes also yeah so. it's at underground
1: chix all right check yes
0: that's excellent
1: um but Anyway, the white sauce, we make that now, and it's and it's based on the book I was telling you earlier, Big Bob Gibson. That's where the white sauce was created, and so it's a really hyper-local kind of thing in northwest Alabama. You'll see it now. It's kind of become a movement around the barbecue world, but that's where it started. Oh, that's great. Um, so sauces are kind of individual, maybe where you grew up, or if you're an adventurous eater and you want something a little bit you know, different.
0: But people tend to lean one way or the other. Right. So what – but you're 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 not saucing as you're smoking, right? Or are you – that's all well, after – We
1: are. That's At the very the, end, we are in ribs. So okay. that's it.
0: And there's a dry rub on there too, I imagine, as well. Right. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. All right. I'm definitely hungry. So where, where do you go to uh, – where do you go to get commercial barbecue? Like what restaurant do you go – and we're in Atlanta recording this, so this is going to be – atlantic-centric or not depending on how far your barbecue travels have taken right
1: right no it, it locally fox brothers is in my mind clear in a way that the best in town they're consistent um they they're 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 from texas so there's some brisket options on the menu um the brisket's not easy to do well and they they consistently do it well They'll, you'll find it in chile you'll find it in some of their specials um you know also a uh, community coup right down here in decatur I-, I like i'm a big fan um one of the few places i found that have sausage smoked sausage on the menu so i usually will get a sampler platter there and get make sure i get the sausage they always have great sides maybe a little different than most places um you know i i have for years tried to get in the blog world and i kind of created a a way to review um, barbecue restaurants using the the color of a coal is the uh, criteria. And so maybe this uh, podcast will uh, encourage me to, to get that ready to go so people can come uh, see it. I think you should. Um, but I rate it, you know, red hot coal. The meat is perfectly cooked and the sides are memorable. I mean, it's like this is not something that's coming out of a frozen. The macaroni and cheese is not coming from you know some place somebody's in the back making it's it's so-and-so's macaroni and cheese that community cue mac and cheese i could that's 100 percent agree I, I love that and so, so i think much. that you can really tell and you can tell that people take the extra steps um those two places are closest to where i am um you know so i go to the, i go there the most often or you know what i really love to do
0: is cook it myself yeah uh so you know cow and pig go team for both of them do you know which I love because I feel like I've I've met a lot of barbecue people who are just pulled pork, right? You know that's all that's all they're into. Uh, have you been to Kreitz Market in Lockhart, Texas? No, I haven't. Okay, you I'll should, write that down. You should go. I think Lockhart's in the barbecue world. At least Texas barbecue world is fairly famous. I think there's two or three that are amazing, but it was it was life changing. Uh, it was one of the happiest meals of my life. And you you walk in this old building and there's two different entrances and. Like in the in the corner of the room is like you know just huge furnace and like smoker on right. on both sides and then people are in the middle and there's no sauce whatsoever they just wrap it up in butcher paper and you get a tomato or an onion or a jalapeno pepper and you go to town and I'm I, I love it and I'm drooling now thinking about put that it. on my list for sure. Um, let you mentioned the pickles briefly. Tell me about some pickles. So the the pickles are
1: something I've been doing. My um, father side of the family has been making the pickles for a while my father's the youngest of 12 kids who grew up on a farm oh wow and um never really would, they didn't waste anything growing up so if, it, if they you know my grandmother would say a southern phrase is to put up vegetables um, which is to preserve or to pickle and so um he's been making them he's had a garden for as long as i can remember in my in my hometown and we he would make pickles he would grow tomatoes he would do all sorts of things just because it was fun for him. And we would give them away to people at church or whatever. Um, and so the reason I started making them is because I wanted to maintain the link to that, you know, heritage, even though I don't have a 200 acre farm and I don't have to, um, you know, pickle vegetables that I'm growing that we're not able to eat this year. It's a link to the past and it's, it's a cool thing to do. And, um, so I started doing it. I learned how to make them from my dad and, um, you know, started giving them away to people when they asked for them. And now i um, researching it as a you know, commercially viable business. I actually have a, a doing I'm pretty far along the process with a farm down in South Georgia to commercially produce them. I've got some restaurants that are interested in, in using them and also a couple of retail places that want to have them. Anything that's local with a story, it's kind of big right now in food. And so for me, I would love to be able to, to have someone replicate my recipe so I don't have to make them in my kitchen, right? Um, which I'm doing right now at times. And um, because people, you know, they enjoy them. You'll, you'll find them at places around town. Um, they've been known to show up in very random restaurants, maybe behind bars. Uh, people have used them for different things. Uh uh, if you're an Irish whiskey drinker, a which, shot which of, I am an Irish whiskey shot and a, in a shot of pickle juice on the back end of it uh, called a pickle back. It's yeah. pretty, pretty nice. Um, and so I always save the juice uh, when I'm done with the jar of pickles and provide them to someone who I know will enjoy um, that P- side put of it. them, put them to good use. Yes. Yes. So uh, it's, it's just been a passion. It's, 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 it's current because people, you know, my friends, and, and acquaintances they enjoy them, but it's also more importantly a link to to the past where my family was was raised and kind
0: of what that means. I love that I um, I've made chicken and dumplings once um, and that was my grandmother's specialty. that's what I had for every single birthday ever. So my mom had every single birthday ever. that's what my uncle had every single birthday ever and I, I've only made it once but i'm I'm gonna make it again yes uh, just to kind of hold that. Hold that tile. Kind of love that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's important.
0: Uh, tell me, when did you go from being a head golf pro to also running the business side of of the club as well? And how did that come about? <laughs> excuse me. Um, it happened over a period of, of a couple of years. Um, in the
1: last um, probably five to six years, got more elevated. Went from <coughs> excuse me. Went from head golf professional to director of golf, which is at the time, you know, there wasn't a whole lot more responsibility, but it got more of an overall view of the operation. And then in uh, 2014 was named general manager and took over um, the entire operation, which included the food and beverage and the uh, agronomy side of things. So been learning that job since then. Um, it's a, a lot of different moving parts, especially on the food side of things. Um, and then how the three departments, the three main departments, agronomy, golf, and food kind of work together. Uh, to, to produce a desired outcome and so uh, it's been it's been fun I've, I've really enjoyed it. What have been the challenges of, of doing that? I think that the challenge is to to not always go to the area that you know the best which for me is golf you know you put off what's what needs to be addressed in one of the other two departments because it's the, the other one is oh I got I know exactly what to do here you may not know exactly what to do in food you may not know exactly what to do. Um, with maintenance and so then it comes down to having people that you trust um, that can teach you what you don't know um, and be smart enough to listen to them Um, but at the same time learning about it so you know enough to be I'm not sure that's right tell me why that you want
0: to do that and so the balance those two things I think is important you've mentioned uh, you know when you first started being head pro you had to hire people and try to get people on board and now you have to hire what do you look for in employees what are I think uh, that you know it's a couple things one I think that
1: you look and see how they're gonna f- fit in with the people that you already have and Sometimes, or a lot of times, most times, I would say, if you're, if you're decent, your resume and your credentials, what you're, what you're putting out about yourself should be flawless. And so that should not be a uh, determinant of who is best. Um, it really gets down to knowing somebody. And one of the things that, that I love to do when interviewing somebody is, is to watch how the person interacts with people when you don't think they're watching them. Mm. You know, if if I introduce you to the person that's cleaning the floors, do you look them in the eye or do you kind of look down your nose at them? And there's a there's a subtle difference. Um, and there's a subtle difference in BS in that too because you can you can come across as not genuine when you really when you think you're trying to act a certain way. And so it it goes back to those little moments like that, and, and it's it's easy to be on or to interview well or to have a good-looking resume or to have someone say something good about you who you may know. It's it's the little interactions that I kind of pick up on um, because it's uh, that's when the true person comes out. And then at the end of the day, it's your gut. Which one's going to fit in the best? And I have hired against my gut a
0: few times and have been wrong every time I've done it uh when letting people go uh, are you are you guys quick to fire are you guys quick to try to rehab like how does how does it, that work I wouldn't say we're quick to fire um
1: it, it usually will take something that's just a kind of a divorce kind of situation just irreconcilable differences and just say hey this is not just this is not going to work unless it's something just so obvious if it's illegal or some sort of you know serious offense if the person's kind of you know doing okay most of the time, um, you know you try to do all you can to, to make it work because it you know losing a job is not easy you know, and it has uh, implications not only on that person but on that person's family. Um, it has implications on the long-term career path that they have. On, and so you have to treat that you know pretty carefully but at the end of the day you know you, you hopefully the person knows that it's coming that it's not a surprise that they're getting fired that you've tried to do everything you you've, you've said you need to do a, B and C. And they haven't done A, B, and C, so
0: they shouldn't expect to remain employed there. And so usually it gets to that point. Do you? Uh, I want to geek out on some golf questions for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you were, I guess, what do you consider? I guess you consider yourself now you still a head golf professional. I know that is one of your things you do, but do you? Is that how you identify now, or no?
1: Well, I identify now as the the general manager and director of golf. Um, you know, it's. Uh, people still do kind of look at me as the golf you know person or a, as a golf expert um, and I mean maybe they always will. that's what my professional affiliation is. but you know in terms of titles and what's expected of me in the in the, in the outward facing world or what, when I'm dealing with members, um, the general manager or, or CEO kind of role resonates more with 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 people like that. so you have to balance
0: those two okay so you can answer this from either point of view Mm -hmm. Uh, depends so what do you wish members knew about what you guys do I
1: think that you know the way that I look at it is and this is true in any service business and quick sidebar I'm a firm believer I would vote for any politician that made it mandatory for people to work in the service business for a minimum of two years. I'd support, Oh, two two years? Yeah. Um, or maybe a year. But I'd, I'd push for two. but So they understand what it takes to actually produce a, a meal at a restaurant or an experience for your child to attend. And not only what it takes to do it, but what it costs that person in terms of their time with their own families. And so, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I would hope that or i would like for the members to know that it there is a lot of intentional thought and sacrifice that goes into creating experiences for others and it it takes a a special kind of person to be okay with that day in and day out Um, people can do it at times when there's the one time a year i host this or that at my house and i have to turn over but to do it day in and day out and to really care about how your efforts are perceived, knowing the sacrifices you're making, um, are, are really important, and so I, that's why I just I, I always you know I remember when when we joined here when Carrie you know and I joined here and sitting in the restaurant she asked me she said are you going to be able to relax here
0: great question yeah and
1: I said I don't know yet because I understand what's going on on the other side of that wall right now and I understand. And I can hear what members are saying about the staff. And I, can under, and I can see and I can tell almost instantly by how you treat somebody that's taking care of you what kind of person you are and whether or not I like you or not or I want to hang out with you. Right. I mean, quickly. Um, and, and I just I don't really have any room for patience with people that are talked down to the staff, um, that are oblivious to what's going on. That what they're asking for is completely ridiculous, <laughs> um, and it's just and they're just oblivious to it. And I just I don't understand how that someone can be that way. And so I I am I have been comfortable here, I, and not to know some of the staff, and but I am quick to stand up for um, them if I feel like they're being treated in a way that's not fair. Right.
0: How often do you get to play golf now?
1: If I play once a month, it's good. Um, I hope to play more. We're 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 having some changes in our staff and having some more support from a management standpoint uh, next year. So I hope to play more. Um,
0: love to play, and just don't get a don't make time to play as often as I should. Do you have a favorite course that is not in your you know that is not East Lake or or any other memberships or? I would say for me, it's more about the experience
1: then I'm not really an architecture geek. I don't really understand. I mean, I understand the different attributes of different architects, but I I don't really get into that in terms of, you know, Oh, I love to play every Donald Ross course I could find or whatever. For me, it's about the experience. What, what happened while I was there, um, just things like that. So, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate. I played Augusta national a few times. Every time that I've gone, it's been magical. And, um, and I've I've been fortunate. I played a lot of the, the best, um, you know, St Andrews and and a lot of other ones. And it's it's the things I remember most are about the people I was with or something that happened. Um, not so much like the the
0: routing, and I don't really get into all that stuff, but um, more like who I was with. Right. So if you were going to advise somebody who was into golf, um, you know, they they they're not going to be able to play Augusta National, mm-hmm. but another one of the high tier. Kind of courses, you know, a destination type trip. You know, where would you tell them to go? Abandoned Dunes. Um, where is that? It's in. It's out in. Uh, it's in Oregon, and it's a.
1: It's a. I played there a few few years ago. I'd love to go back at some point. Uh, I played, um, and it's it's set up for a golf trip. I mean, it's set up, to, and the golf courses are phenomenal. The, the staff there is great. It's not easy to get to. Um, probably easier to get to some places in the UK. Um, <laughs> well. than it is than it is uh, uh where they are but um it's it was just a fun trip and uh the golf was great the food was great the company was great um we actually played on june 20th which is the longest day of the year we played an event there they call the summer solstice event and there's only 64 people that play in it every year so you played all four courses on the same day what that's amazing so we teed off at five twenty a.m <laughs> and finished about seven fifteen p.m played 72 holes in one day and we're walking uh down the 18th fairway on uh we played pacific dunes i think last and are you walking, you, walking. Do you have to oh god yes. i wouldn't
0: i wouldn't make that yeah
1: walking, <laughs> walking 18 holes we get to we were walking down the fairway i hit a drive was getting a little tired but, but i played great um, the whole the whole day, um walking down the 18th fairway, and the caddy looks at me and he goes, "Do you know that you played with one golf ball the entire day?" And I was like, "Are you serious?" And he pulled out from his bib the sleeve of balls with two other two balls in it. And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Never ask for another one." He said, "Don't lose it now." um So I just kind of bunted it down the fairway and got. It I was about to say, don't mess that up. So I still have it on my desk. It's one of my keepsakes. Uh, the ball I played.
0: 72 holes in one day with that's amazing Mm -hmm. i love that uh bent grass greens or bermuda greens um today's bermuda grass greens are
1: uh just as good from a putt from putting standpoint they both are great at certain times of the year and they're they're both not great at other times of the year so it depends on when you're playing them okay i like them both you know and love to play them when they're both conditioned great
0: what uh somebody who's learning golf they're picking it up is there a book you'd recommend they look at there, is there this something that can be can you gain knowledge in this arena from a book i think that you can use uh things that are printed to to kind of
1: i don't know that you could learn golf by just reading you could and you could and i would argue that you could probably learn you would you could get too much information by doing that mm. because the thing that that happens with adults is they try to rationalize things too much and don't experience things. If I, if you if you took a kid out on the driving range and gave him a club and said hit that ball, he's not thinking about where his elbow is or what, if his feet or if his weights evenly distributed. He's just trying to hit the ball. If you go and read a bunch of stuff and and trying to 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 learn golf, you're gonna you're gonna be trying to control your body by thinking too much. And that, that to me that is the one thing that people do wrong. Is I would rather you line up twenty golf balls and hit all twenty without a single thought in your head, than 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 hit twenty golf than to hit you know a thousand golf balls with trying to think about whatever you read in in some book somewhere. Now there are certain things that you need to do well. You need to have a good grip. You need to have yourself aligned right. Your posture needs to be a certain way. Um, You know the the grip, stance, alignment, posture the four kind of components to golf. That you can diagnose almost any um, swing problem with grip is is absolutely the most important thing. So if you can learn one thing from a book, it's how to hold a club. Um, I remember I went and took a lesson from a uh, a well known golf instructor after I've been playing for twenty years, and I was having some problems and I wanted somebody different to look at me. And I went down to Florida and I got there and did all the stuff I had to do to get seen. And he he made, he started out the lesson. I was hitting like ten feet pitch shots like from here just mm-hmm. right there he goes hit some pitch shots for me i was hitting them he had about 15 balls he didn't say a word um after the about the 15th ball he goes your grip's terrible <laughs> he said we're gonna change your grip today and i was like i'm paying which is like bucks. the m- most fundamental thing correct yes so he changed my grip and I literally would would sit at home at night in, in front of television. I would hold. I would practice putting my hands on and taking them off, putting my hands on taking them off, putting my hands on, taking them, off, my hands on taking them off in front of the television. So when I got to the golf course, I wasn't thinking about it anymore. I knew right. exactly what I needed to do.
0: You had that muscle memory.
1: Yep. So you can learn things like that. You can learn some of the fundamentals, maybe some of the philosophy around course management, maybe what it takes to be a good player. You know, you need to be a good putter. You have to be able to chip the ball. But – in terms of swinging the club itself there's no substitute for for having someone uh hitting a golf ball that you can connect with that un, that you too can communicate you know you don't if, if if you're a visual learner you don't need someone who 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 can just give you all these different facts and hope that it sinks in um
0: you know and vice versa so uh, i think that that relationship is really key so what kind of machinations did you have to go through to get this lesson you saying to do all the things you have to do. What, well, just what, I what mean, I flew
1: down there, and, okay, you okay. know, and all that kind of stuff, and, and got in and checked in and did all this. So he was a well-known, you know, teacher. He taught some tour players, and it wasn't easy to get in to see him. And um, I just was disappointed initially um, when he wanted to change my grip, but it also gave me confidence as a teacher not to overcomplicate things. To to really say, you know what, you're doing, you know, maybe these five things wrong, but this one thing. If you don't do this, then none of the rest of it matters. Mm. And to me, that that took a a high level of confidence, but also a high level of knowledge. And saying, "Listen, you're paying me because you want to get better, right? So this is what you need to get better.
0: Listen to me." Yes. Uh, how do you help your employees deal with the uh, the personalities involved in golf clubs and private clubs and the? Um we, we, you know, we've we've touched on it briefly, but I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper because certainly there's a there can be a large level of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's probably true dealing with any selection of the public, but it, it seems like it seems larger in this arena. Correct. What do you teach your employees about that?
1: Well, I think that you know the first thing is that you're you're getting paid to serve others, so that that is the reason you're here. And no other reason. You're you're here because. These people are paying a fee monthly to come to our club and be and, and, and experience life, you know, their life, whether it's a birthday dinner, whether it's a round of golf. They're they're coming here to get away from whatever it is that's going on in their life, potentially. This is recreation for them. And so you have to remember that. This no matter what is happening in your own life, today, this is this person's day to get away from the ringing phone or an angry boss or a complaining spouse or whatever it is and so you have to start with that Um, but I think at some point in time the club management whatever it is has to draw a line and say there's a difference between serving and being a servant Um, and it's a fine line but it has to be firm and so if a member or a guest crosses the line then they need, that in that time, the tables flip. See, say, we don't operate that way here. Those kind of actions are not welcome, so please don't do them again, or we're going to have to ask you not to be here. And you have to be, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line, but in terms of how the, the staff is, they you know need to understand that's what their role is. And then the second thing you have to do is support them and back them up Um, give them the things that they need to do their job and then let them do their job. And so what, if if we have a a situation where uh, we fail in taking care of someone, then I failed as a manager because I didn't provide for them what they needed, whether it be training or the right uniform or the right information or whatever it is. Some, someone has failed them from above. They didn't set them up to succeed. And so as long as the employee feels like they're supported and they have what they need to do their job. in my experience is, most of the time, they will do it. Um, at times where they don't, it's because of some sort of system failure um, that, that on our end, or you have someone who, like you said, is entitled and is really just pushing the envelope in terms of really what it means to be a decent human being. Yeah, that's and there's not a lot you can do with that. I, I think, in my experience, calling them out. You know, having someone actually say to them, "Listen, we don't tolerate that kind of stuff here." It kind of—they're not used to being told that, right? Um, and then, so then it comes down to—you know—for us, we have a single owner. There's no board. What I say goes. If if they're not happy with it. Sorry, that's the way it is. At other clubs, it's different. You know, it's a you know you you make the wrong person mad that may cost you your job in three years when they're off the board. So that's when a very strong board and a and a, and a good governance model to say, listen, we're paying the staff to be here. That this is their job. Our board, the board's job is to is to look about things that are strategic and to handle things that pop up that we need to come to some sort of consensus on that are outside the normal course of business. But the manager's job is to do this, and that's we're going to support them to do this. And the, the second you stop doing that, the second, and that's the second you stop, you you stop getting good managers.
0: Right. Uh, is Mister. Cousin still the owner? Yes. What have you learned from him?
1: Oh gosh, um, a few years ago I asked him to lunch, and I was in the doing some. I called them leadership lunches. I would just invite people to lunch, and I'd say. It, and it was it was funny because no one knew why I wanted to most people thought that I was leaving, I was looking to network. But my only question was, what have you done in your life that has made you successful? Whatever it is. And and it it was interesting because people would would talk about sometimes health, you know, that was on their mind, or they have a kid in school and that's on their mind, or or whatever it is. And so when I asked Mr. Cousins, that question, he was in in very true form, was like, well, you know, I don't really understand. I don't, I don't really know. I, you know, I did this and I did that, and um, but he started talking, and I asked him questions, kind of like what we're doing today, and, um, and you know, learned from him the power of integrity and the power of taking risks and the power of um, empathy and how he treated people and. And and really, to me, you know, I tell people all the time if you looked up the the term Southern gentleman or just gentleman in general, his face would be there. And I can give you multiple examples of of of, of, of times that I've seen him uh, be that way. Um, you know, give, re- give me one just so uh, the audience knows what you're referring to. I remember um, back when we were recruiting members, he would bring in CEO kind of level folks all the time and show them the club and we would you know be there to help facilitate um, things for him and i remember he walked in the front door of the clubhouse and we had a person answering the phone sitting at the desk had been there for a while for a couple of years and so he had met her many times multiple times he couldn't remember her name you know he, he just just didn't sure and uh, he pulled me aside and he would always kind of pinch you on the elbow when he, you know, when he reached in to shake hands, he was one of those people that just kind of grabbed her elbow. Um, and he whispered in my ear, he said, tell me her name, tell me her name. I'd say, Mr. Cousins, it's Brandy. Okay. And he would keep doing what he's doing, and, when, and then two minutes later when he walked by, he would say, Brandy, how are you today? And to me, that made such an impact on me on how you treat people. I bet. The guy that owns the place. Right. I mean... He could have just hey how are you today and she would have been fine with that yeah but here in your own name and, and and that's just one example of what I've learned on how to treat how to treat people and you know then to value people
0: what else do you do to try to um, increase your leadership abilities to try to get better at what your job is because you're you're I mean you're at the pinnacle of, of what this is right so how do you how do you maintain that challenge and what do you do to get better well, the way that I look at it right now in
1: terms of leadership, I'm just starting. Um, and I think that if you ever get to a place that you are you don't want to learn, then, then it's, you know, it's, it's, things are not good. The, the, the second you think you know it all, things are not good. And so you know, I'm doing a couple of things. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm doing a, a program called Leadership Atlanta this year. Um, it's one of the oldest or maybe the oldest um, community-based leadership programs in the country. There's about 80 people in uh, in my class and they pull from all different points uh, government uh, religion business um, uh, academia there's all kinds of different people in my class on purpose and they break it down into to to different major topics like we just had uh, last Thursday our program on criminal justice and so we spent that we spent the entire day talking about um, the whole criminal justice system um, from police, courts, prisons, and everything in between, and really were immersed uh, for a whole day in discussion about it, um, starting with a judge that, that went over some high points, and then we had a panel with the chief of police on there, uh, had someone from Black Lives Matter on the panel, had a prosecutor on there, talked about their, their divergent points of view. Um, we toured the Fulton County prison or Fulton County jail, uh, were there, were transported there in the, in the buses that they transport the prisoners in, um, and went through the entire jail um, from the medical ward to the kitchen to the, uh, where the inmates are held, how they went through the whole process. Um, and one of the things that struck me the most about doing that, um, a, couple, a couple things. One is that the jailer, when he was talking, when he, just before he ended his talk, his wanted us to understand and, and remember that the people behind bars are still people. And so he had an inmate who had had a lot of success in life and had gotten off track somehow, probably through some sort of addiction, um, sang for us on cue, no music. And he had an unbelievable voice and just sang in front of the, I mean, everybody stopped. It was like, it was so powerful, and and then he ended his talk to say, "Listen, we're here. These people that are here are just like you and me. Maybe they made you know. There's a certain segment of the population that are bad and deserve to be, you know, away from everyone else. There's a lot of there's a bigger group of folks that are get caught up in some kind of circumstance that, you know, there's really that's the only thing we know to do with them, and um, and so it was very thought provoking." Um, so to answer your question, that, that was one. We had a leadership uh, day. Um, we had a race awareness day. It was a first class. And then we have a couple others coming up. One of them is on education. One of them is on healthcare, And the last one is on power and influence. And so when you graduate, quote, unquote, you're supposed to go out and you know change Atlanta. And it's been very powerful so far. Um, really made me focus on things that – you hear about but you never really know how to talk about them or engage in them
0: and that's what the that's what the program's designed to do that sounds amazing i love that um you talking about i'm presuming like you're getting these skills you're going to bring them back to your organization you're right. also going to help atlanta presumably correct kind of grow will you talk just a little bit about uh kind of some of the work that you're already doing um uh, you know with stewart or and you know without him as well
1: right so um as i mentioned earlier um Stuart and I, or my, my sister, um, Karen, who lives in, in, uh, near my hometown, we created a golf tournament um, to, um, to fund an organization called The Healing Place. That was 15 years ago. And The Healing Place was a, is a nonprofit center um, that offers grief counseling. So we formed a 501C3, uh, 501c3 and had our own board and raised a ton of money for that organization. Um, we're doing a similar type thing in Atlanta, Uh, with Stewart's own charity called Sink It Charities, and he supports the uh, Gwinnett, let's see, it's the neonatal unit at Gwinnett Medical Center, and then also the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Gwinnett County. Um, So those are his two um, charities here. In addition to that, I've been involved with a lot of different things through Eastlake, people that I've known, uh, really people that have had golf tournaments at least like you get to know the people in the, in the causes, you know like uh, Philip Bray at Safe House. I mean, you know kind of a bootstrap guy who, who, who started a mission uh, for homelessness in downtown Atlanta and then who's just an incredible person. And the way that I think about it is, I mean, what would the people that go and benefit from his passion? What would what would happen to those people if Philip Bray didn't exist? And it's it's really tough to think about. And there's so many charities and organizations that are like that. That if your life is going a certain way, that you just never think about them. I mean, at least I don't, and or I, you know, most of the time. And you know, to know people that are out there doing those kinds of things, I think is a very powerful thing. And in today, especially in today's world where everything seems to be so negative and 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 really instant. You know, these people are like we're in it for the long haul, man. It's this is not easy stuff we're doing. Uh, they're
0: slogging away at the daily, yeah. the daily things that need to be done. Yeah,
1: and so I, that's one of the blessings that I that that I've received by working at Eastlake is just hosting some of these charity tournaments and getting to know these organizations. And say, oh, what does that do? Well, why do you exist, and what do you need money for? And they say, oh, we're doing this, this, and this. And um, so anyway, it's it's been a a blessing to to be able to be in a position to to know about the charities to talk about them to be involved with them at certain times either financially or or otherwise and um just to to makes you feel good that people are out there in the world that are doing stuff like that what um whose golf swing would you like to have gosh um putting tiger at his prime i would love to have that I, i think i would take that over anybody's golf swing
0: what makes him such a good putter or what made him such a good putter well I mean we, think we'll about see.
1: <laughs> think about how many putts he made when it counted yeah I mean it seemed like he never missed when it counted um, and just to have the focus and the uh, um, there's nothing more powerful in golf than making a putt when somebody thinks that you're not going to make it
0: <laughs>
1: so I think that I think if, if that's a, enough of an answer to your question I'm going to go with that that is, that is indeed uh, so what is next for you? Uh, next, you know, we're uh, getting ready for uh, 2018. and Like I said, I'm doing this Leadership Atlanta thing. But, you know, just really focusing on developing some of my personal interests with the pickles and the barbecue. We've done some cool things with it so far. Um, we've done – Stuart and I have done charity dinners for uh, – Q School has catered. The last one that we auctioned for Stuart's charity event – sold for I think 33,000 oh my gosh that's amazing for 20 people and it's so we do it at Stewart's house and and I and I, we were sitting talking I was like you're paying you're paying that kind of money to two guys that aren't chefs and we literally we're, we're, we're outsourcing none of it I'm making the right doing bread, it all. we're doing it all um so things like that are really cool that you can combine a personal uh passion and, and charity but just doing it you know things like that are really are fun and you know for me personally I want to play more golf You know, I want to get to a stage to where I feel comfortable in the way that my operation is – our operation at Eastlake is running, uh, to continue to explore opportunities in the nonprofit sector, to to try to, you know, not just do the same thing every time, not just do golf tournaments or barbecue contests. I'm also involved with uh, Crime Stoppers Atlanta. I've been on their board for a while, so public safety and and, and really how that impacts every component of uh, how a city operates from property values uh, on down. Um, and how citizens can really be part of something that makes their community safe which there's no greater you know
0: uh, need than that so right and it was it all kind of all starts there correct. You know, It's the, the basic need yeah so need I think that just continue safety. to do that what do you do to relax because I'm always amazed at people in the hospitality industry especially you know here and elsewhere that are like it doesn't stop for them right it's just cycle cycle repeat 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 so what do you do to, disengage and to
1: you know I, I tried the the whole um, uh, to yoga I've tried to do med- meditation I've tried to do some things like that to, to not a very good degree of success okay um, one of my uh, mentors suggested to me that I'm at a point in my life that I should do a mandatory two-week vacation every year no matter where it is and completely unplug and so I, that is my goal for 2018 is to, to take two weeks and to completely unplug, not return emails, not look at them. Um, I will see how that goes. Um, but I think that that's a good start. And I think that just, um, you know, for me, being away from work, I love to read, hike. I love to uh, go to, to music concerts and to, and to support, especially, you know, more local bands, people that are trying to make it. Um, like I mentioned Yacht Rock earlier, but uh, right. there's a bunch of other ones that you just try to go and support and i'd enjoy doing that so but it is hard to turn it off especially when you're in a venue and you see things happening and you're empathetic to the guy behind the bar who's having to deal with whatever you know right yeah it's
0: just tough it's tough uh you don't have to mention anybody by name if you don't want to but who are your mentors what what types of people and how has that relationships how, how's that worked i've got i've got several um you know some that uh people would find surprising
1: and I've done that on purpose for different points of view, people that aren't in the golf space, people that, um, are, are, are different, uh, you know, in, in, in our business, unfortunately it's pretty white and it's pretty male. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so, so some of the people that I ask advice from are not, are neither. And, um, and I think that it's, uh, it's, I think it's important to have a different point of view on things. And, um, you know, and I think that, the, the mentor mentee relationship comes with uh, different levels of engagement. It could be a, a new person that you've met in life with a different point of view than yours that you ask their opinion, and you may get something that's like, What? Well, that's not ex- what I was expecting that you would say, or, you know, I, I don't like hearing that. Um, and I think those types of interactions are, are important and powerful. Um, you know, most people. At least I did at one point viewed that relationship as you know you're going to your mentor and it's like you're going on some sort of uh, you know quest and you're trying to find out the meaning of life it's it's really not that it's having people in your life that you can go to when you need to um, that care about you as a person and uh, have your best interest at heart and are willing to say what they think
0: do you have advice for someone who is looking uh, for mentors or like how to approach them, or how to that, how to have that kind of relationship. I do.
1: I think that it's you know you have to make yourself available, and you have to be honest about what um, it is that you want, and 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 and, it, and and to do that, you're you're vulnerable. You have to you have to open up and say, listen, I don't really understand this. Or, I'm having a hard time thinking through that. Or um, this is a really hard decision. I really would value your input on this. It's amazing. What asking people's opinion, um, how quickly they say yes, I'll I'll meet with you, I'll have lunch with you, I'll have a coffee with you, I'll just tell you what I think, um, and then from there the relationship grow, you know, goes deeper because they understand what your goals are and what's going on in your life, and um, it's a powerful relationship. And um, most people that I know of are open to it if they think that you really have your own best interest at heart, that you're not trying to do some sort of a shortcut or, you know, people can see that stuff coming. Right. Um, and if they think that you're genuine and they think that you're really kind of in it for the long term and you're in it for the right reasons, most people are, are totally open for it. And, and if they're not, then they wouldn't have been a good mentor anyway.
0: What about the reverse? What of uh, people that you mentor? What do you, what do you, what do you have advice for people who, have, who are approached by you know younger people or inexperienced people who are looking to learn? I would say that um,
1: one of the things, going back to the question you asked a few minutes ago about things that I – what's next for me, that is one area that I want to do better at is is when – is to recognize when someone is trying to reach out that you make time for them and, um, you know – and it's again, it's it usually is not a real formal type situation that they're just like they're walking in your office and say, "I would like you f- for you to mentor me." Right. <laughs> um, it's it's normally like they you can tell by the questions people ask, or um, and then you can kind of engage a little bit. And so making yourself available when things like that happen is very powerful. And um, it's amazing what type of impact that you can have on someone. If you just, it, they may have a hard time reaching out, and they have, you know, kind of honored you by asking. They put their stuff out there, right? And that's a, that's a powerful thing to do, and a, not an easy thing to do. Um, and because some people may say that it's a sign of weakness that you don't know everything, or but it's it's when when, when people do that know just to, to say I, i'd like to say oh yeah i'd so please sit down let's talk about that for a few minutes and we'll follow back up and what what are you trying to do here What what's your rationale um i think that that is a something that i i i'm definitely going to focus on and want to do better at
0: that sounds great uh so we are almost done here you've been so generous with your time i appreciate it i've got a few questions that i always ask everyone okay uh so you can answer you know long short uh it doesn't matter okay uh what is your favorite bookstore and this can be in the past as well or you mentioned you were a reader so i i want to hear i say my favorite bookstore was there was a bookstore in my hometown
1: called the off-campus bookstore and it uh right off the campus of una and they just the way that it what they had in there they had supplies but they had uh, merchandise for the college. They had food. They had all. They had this mix, and I was like, "This is like the." It was so cool to be able to go into a place like that, and I remember the floors being rickety, and, and hearing you walking across them. Uh, it, it probably thinking back on it was one of the things that kind of fueled my interest in merchandising. I, I'd like to to have things. You know, that's one of the things that I was doing a lot of when I was the head professional, and. Uh, won some some awards um, and we our, our staff kind of takes pride in that but just remember how things were oriented and walking in there and being able to it was kind of like a whole new world um, I would say that would be it was an off-campus bookstore and the interesting thing about that is later in life the people that owned that bookstore got on our committee that ran the golf tournament in our hometown and I found out their whole story about their whole family why they did it you know how it worked and everything so it was a it was like, early and then 20 years later met the owners
0: that's amazing um but it was just it was that, that one always sticks out to me uh okay it's saturday you're not working and what is your best day give me a day planned or unplanned that would be you know this is the day i i would i would have a, a, a two-fold
1: answer to that the, the one answer would be if i were going to get to go play golf somewhere and so i get up um, probably it would start the night before. Not you know taking it too deep the night before, making sure I was clear headed when I woke up. Right. Um, didn't overeat. Didn't over. Got a good night's sleep. Got up and had a great breakfast. Played 18 holes with with uh, people that I care about and that I enjoy being with. Um, and then maybe after that, watching some sort of sporting event uh, as the sun sets uh, somewhere. And then going out and having an awesome dinner, uh, maybe inviting uh, the significant others of the people we played with and ending the day like that. That would be a pretty great day. Uh, And the second type of great day I would have is if I woke up and I had 10 to-dos on my list around the house
0: and I had the time to do all 10. (laughs) That would be awesome. Yeah, but now we know we're we're involving fantasy work here. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so there's a fire at your house, a natural disaster, everybody's safe, pets, loved mm-hmm. ones. Uh, you can grab three things to take out of the fire and only three things. What would you grab? I would, I would grab my computer because
1: it has all my pictures on it. Um, that's a great question. I've got a room in the basement that has a lot of things that are important to me from a keepsake standpoint. So I'd probably gl- grab... I've got a collection of all the concert tickets that I've ever been to in, in one place which I think would be and so music really is, is yeah. it's important to you yeah or, or you know, concerts and other events yeah um, you know whether football games or other things but you know the the paper I, I hate the fact that there's no paper tickets or they're becoming less po- you know less prevalent because right you go back through and look at the box you remember the show you remember who you're with why you went
0: oh that's excellent was it a
1: date was it was it you know something else um, so I would say stuff like that. There's there's a place that I would have um some things that, that are the most meaningful. Um and then probably one of my Velvet Blazers. I don't know which one
0: <laughs> <Yeah. black ones. laughs> Which one of the eight would you it grab? It'd be the black one that was the original. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, I like it. Keep yeah. it keep it a, keep it classic. Yeah. Um do you have a quote or a maxim or like an inspirational saying that you've found that has been helpful to you kind of repetitively over your life? Um
1: Yes. Over, over time, there have been many, and I, and I do a bad job of remembering, I can't, you know, of quoting them, but there's one that has come about more recently, and it's about, um, you know, being in the ring. I think the, the name of the quote is, in the, in the ring, and it talks about, I don't remember exactly what the quote is, but the, the premise is that it's the person that's actually doing something that matters and you probably
0: or maybe you're familiar with it right quote. Like being like the man in the
1: arena yeah the man in the arena that's it. something like that and, and, I, and, and I, I don't remember who said it, it either but that that quote to me and it because it can it, it talks it can talk about many different things and there's especially in today's world there's so many people that are on the fringe talking about what's going on you know I, I'm, I'm more interested to know the people that are actually doing things um, and are not as concerned about what May be perceived as being said about them, as "Hey, I know what I need to be doing. This is what I need to be doing. I don't really care what anybody else says, because those are the people that are actually getting things done."
0: Right. So that one, it more recently, has
1: truly resonated with me.
0: No, I love that one also. It's it's uh, that was comforting and inspiring. Yes, it's comforting when you feel like you're putting yourself out there, and then it's inspiring when you when you when you have those moments. You know, or years where yep, you feel agree. like you're really, you're really not. Agree. Uh, is there a book or a film that you would recommend that everybody should see? And of course, not everybody's going to love it. But um, gosh, the you know the the
1: I remember some of the books I read growing up, and uh, and I don't remember how old I was when I read uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh, fantastic book! And it may have been the first time I ever cried as a older person i don't know if i was a teenager i don't remember what it was But that is powerful at that point in my life was powerful um movie wise i tend to 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 lean towards comedies and um not not as much murder mystery not as much sci-fi um you know one of my favorite comedy movies is airplane it's just uh so ridiculously uh, funny.
0: It uh, never disappoints. It yeah. really
1: doesn't. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite uh, is one of my go-tos. Um, just, and again, I go back to it. I remember who I was with when I watched it and the first time I thought it was so stupid. And then the second time I was like, it's eh, pretty funny. And then the third time I was like, quoting every line. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but, you know, things like that. And then I love um, the story of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Um, it, 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 it really... Um, you know you just I couldn't identify with what he went through. It just seemed like everything was against him, and then the fact that he was able to to kind of get his due at the end was and met somebody like Morgan Friedman along the way was pretty that was a that was a powerful story um, and I'm sure there's others I can't think
0: of right now, but those no. are the few that come to mind those are great those are absolutely great uh, What would your friends say your superpower is
1: I think um rolling with the punches hmm i don't i don't think that it's hard to get me flustered um i will get flustered but it's hard to and so i think whether that be adaptability or um what the trait would be i I don't know but it's just um i'm very comfortable when uh with whatever direction things happen to go and it's a very rare that i'm just like i just you know i'm not cool with this right now whether it's um, it's too lame or it's too crazy I would generally kind of be able to adapt so I think that and then one of the things I was telling about earlier with uh, with leadership Atlanta some of one of the things that people consistently wrote in my uh, reflective best self was listening and I never considered myself a good listener um, but that consistently came through um, with uh, some of the comments that I got so that was surprising
0: um, so yeah, it's interesting when, when people point out things to you that you're not aware of, uh, about yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, adaptability and listening would be the two that, and would you agree with that? Would, would you, would you say you have another superpower that maybe your friends aren't picking up on?
1: I think that as well,
0: um, possibly, you know,
1: one of the things that, um, good or bad that I do is tend to look at. Not well, not what's happening right now, but what's going to happen because of, you know, that decision. What's going to happen in two two shifts of that decision? Um, so a little bit more, and it can be constrictive at times because it's, um, you know, you, you 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 lose the the moment you're you're thinking about what's going to happen next. But um, I would say that's something that I do naturally, um, thinking about the consequences of things, maybe more than
0: most people do. Um, and, um, can you give an example of, of what, what arena this might be in? Well, I think that, gosh,
1: it's just, it's, it's like, um, it could be as simple as, you know, making breakfast for people that are staying in your house, you know, and it, for me, they're like, okay, we've got house guests, but if I'm thinking, okay, um, what time do they need to leave? Uh, what do they like to eat? Are there, are there any allergies? Um. And maybe maybe it's in reverse in this example, but tend to really overthink things and be ready. Maybe it's because so many times in my life I haven't been ready for certain opportunities, and so I try to compensate when I know that's coming. Something's coming. Um, I, I would say that's one. Maybe it's planning to 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 sum it up in one word. You know, I plan. I'm a planner. Gotcha. And, um, and so maybe most maybe most people don't see that, but uh, maybe they do, and I just don't know it.
0: Right. How about your kryptonite?
1: Oh gosh. I really um and I've said it a couple times, I really have zero patience for people that aren't um empathetic, that don't see things that don't that are or maybe that are self absorbed. I really just I don't like those kind of people. I don't want to be around them and I don't understand how they can be that way. Um And so that comes across in many different. Whether it's a, it can be a church, it could be on the board your own, it could be, um, you know, so many people that reach a certain level of success. I feel look through people at times, um, or they just see what you can do for me, and they don't really care about you. Um, I just, I just can't stand that, and it gets, it'll get under my skin. Um, That and you know, hot pepperoni pizza. Those, those kryptonite. That's <laughs> yeah. if, if there was a box of pizza sitting here, I would literally eat until I couldn't eat anymore. Oh, we'd, uh,
0: we'd, we'd be competing over that. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> uh, do you have a favorite failure? Um, Something that's helped you out in the long run.
1: I think that, um, well, yeah, I mentioned the, 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 the burned pork butt. Yes. Um, so that, that is a definite <laughs> failure. And I learned from that. Um, but I think that um, more, more than, than failing, there are some opportunities that I shied away from that I wish I wouldn't have. Um, I took piano growing up as a kid, and I remember I quit the week before the recital because I was nervous, and I wish I wouldn't have done that. Hmm. Um, I, I wish that I wouldn't have um, gone back for that internship uh, my first semester in school. I wish that um you know it's a great question and it, and I haven't thought about it a lot recently but um those kinds of things I, I view them as decisions that either you're at a crossroads and either you chose not to make a decision or you chose the easy way out um I would view as a failure um nothing really outside of the the pork butt a, a concrete yeah. example of I tried something and I failed at it right um yeah,
0: I mean, I think those two examples it would be would be indicative of what I would th- say. All right. Well, knowing your uh, your interest in music, this is going to be tough. So just give me give me a few. Name three of your favorite concerts you've been to. Prince, U two, Sting. Uh, what era
1: of each of those? Prince was when he played Phillips here with Morris Day and the Time. Oh wow! Best concert. Oh my gosh! Ever. We were you know couple we were close nice and uh seeing him play every single instrument and knowing all the songs and just the way he performed the, the show he put on was amazing and then you uh, two would have been um maybe the elevation tour it's the tour that they had the heart state uh like the, the stage you could walk out on was shaped like a heart okay and um i mean amazing performance um and then Sting, because uh, it's Carrie's favorite artist, and we've seen him a bunch of times. We saw him at the Beacon Theater in New York, um, pretty small show. Went through, moved a lot of, have you know, we moved a lot to get those tickets for her 30th birthday, right? Um, and surprised her with a trip up there. And um, it was the year that he had the hit with Mary J. Blige, um, and it was she wasn't there. But she had uh, another singer was with him, but. Those three shows were awesome. If I had to just pick three, that would be three.
0: That's excellent. Uh, Do you have a favorite investment you've made? This can be, you know, as simple as, you know, you bought Apple stock early, or it could be like a class or something that you've taken to, you know, what have you invested in yourself that's that's paid off? I think um, this is going to be a
1: weird answer to your question. Outstanding. Um, but I, I I like things to be orderly, and one thing that drives me nuts is to have leaves on the driveway or on the porch. So I invested in the electric blower. And it every time that I use it, it provides immense pleasure. <laughs>
0: That's so great.
1: <laughs> and um, I don't have to gas it up. I don't have to take it to get it serviced. Nope. I just charge the battery, and I use it. And they're gone. I'd oh. use it a lot. And I'm sure Carrie would be rolling her eyes if she heard me say <laughs> that. So I would say that. And I would say um, for a cook, a set of good knives – um is you know i have a, a couple of knives that are my go to's i keep what would um, you
0: what would you recommend for somebody who wants I mean, to have a,
1: this? a great chef's knife uh, in two sizes but the uh, just a standard chef knife i use for 95% of what
0: is there a brand you recommend
1: i don't my friend uh adam recommended a brand that Carrie got for me for my birthday and i don't remember the name but okay. just a good high yeah, quality good set. high quality yeah 8 inch uh, it's or... a, it's, a, it's a it's a japanese model and i don't remember the name of it but it's uh that's one of the things I wish I was better at remembering like names and details. Sometimes I
0: think, over. I think you've done pretty well. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you on the internet or social media if they want to say hello?
1: Um, I'm on t- uh, Twitter at, uh, Chad Parker to, um, and Instagram, the same and Parker's pickles on Twitter, uh, and on Instagram and shortly soon to be on the, uh, I have the domain reserved, but it's not operational, but I'm working on getting a blog uh, set up to kind of curate a lot of the interests I have from barbecue to pickles, um, just to food in general. I really love to research recipes and um, and just – selfishly to know where they are in one place would be good for me because i have a hard time finding them sometimes
0: i love that and uh we will uh link to everything in the show notes so that you guys can just click on it and know where it's coming when you do announce and you do uh get it up, up and under in a way we'll definitely let everybody know great thank you thank you so much for your time i thank really love this um uh, yeah it's been great thank you you're welcome thanks for having me thank you for listening to the origin story podcast The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, or you can sign up for the Flock email, a a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.